0: Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer.
1: Happy birthday! Well, not your birthday. birthday! <laughs> it's, it's our seventy-fifth birthday. Well, our seventy-fifth episode. Yeah.
0: But regardless, <laughs> after as with every <laughs> twenty-five episodes, we like to add another fifty movies onto our top. Now one, what will now be our top one hundred and fifty? asian cinema film list this isn't films based on reputation or quality these are just films that we think they've really resonated with myself and steven the most if you've listened to our previous episodes you would know the rules of the game are as follows i will give 25 films steven will risk 25 films and that will give us our 50 which will then be added onto our list taking our total now to 150. If you want to know how we formed uh, the first 100 go back and listen to those episodes in our archive now and you can obviously check out our full list of episodes very handily on Letterboxd as well but yes Stephen
1: yeah so so you were up first so I, I know cheat. Um, and, 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 and and not have to find loads of um, substitutes <laughs> yep um,
0: and tonight we obviously are uh, our house band for tonight Puffy AmiYami because whatever other bands you go with when you're celebrating 75 episodes? Um, but to kick things off, at number 25, we have a recent first watch for myself. That's Sion Sono's Suicide Club. A film best known for its opening 10 minutes or so, um, in which 54, sui- 54 schoolgirls commit suicide by jumping in front of a train to create unbelievable splatter. Uh, This film from 2001, I'm still not sure I fully understand what's going on, but I enjoyed the experience while it was happening in which Japan is rocked by a series of mysterious suicides uh, with school kids uh, forming what they want to call a suicide club, while detectives rush to try and figure out what the mystery is behind this space of suicides. This was a really interesting debut, well certainly in terms of his to the west of uh, Sano who really sort of announced himself as this interesting voice coming sort of on the tail end of the J horror sort of trend i think the fact that this had such a memorable opening really sort of cemented it in a lot of people's memories but it's a film that does actually raise itself above that and while it never seems to top that opening does still have some interesting moments um throughout it you've got a weird underground rock group called genesis who are who are claiming sort of credit for everything that's going on and you've also got this sort of internet mystery going on um with this hacker called bat who is uh giving clues to the detectors as well but i think it's it's a really enjoyable watch route i've really enjoyed this one and i will return to it at some point I'm, at the moment i'm still just still churning over my head trying to figure out what it was all about so
1: <coughs> yeah well, <coughs> two things obviously we spoke about this the last episode so we I won't go too deeply into it. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're gonna to have to watch the Rico's dinner table as well to get the full story, but you will remain as uninformed. Um it is it's a weird <laughs> one. Um I'm just surprised it hasn't been on our previous hundred. I can't believe I hadn't bought it along. So oh, yeah, strange one. We're a bit light on Sono in the in the in the list so far. Um
0: uh we got tokyo tribe we've got why don't you play in hell yeah um but yeah i think we are we're certainly missing a couple of the big titles still but, in there but
1: then again we're going to be talking about them quite a lot soon <laughs> so, yeah he's going to get a threefer in the main show so yes
0: um the people um people have had their say and they want us to look cover the hate
1: trilogy and that's what we're going to do taking a week off to watch love exposure um no, I fully agree. It's a funny one. It's 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 an important film to me because in this sort of... in my sort of second wind of getting into Asian cinema, it to me is very much in that audition battle royale space. It was a film I'd read about, people were talking about it in forums you know, back when forums were a thing um, and... I definitely imported it. I, I know I did. I've got an imported copy from somewhere, and and it's dreadful quality. I wonder if I wonder if um our friends at Third Window feel like doing a restoration or something because I think it, it needs one. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely. I'm more shocked that we it's not already in our hundred. So you've already shocked me once.
0: Okay. Another one that uh, isn't in our 100 yet, even though the other two parts of the trilogy are, and that's Sim Vengeance from 2002 from Park Chan-wook. The most overlooked part of the Vengeance trilogy, and yet it's equally as good as the other parts of the trilogy, in my opinion. I think it's a really interesting uh, story in which this... Guy gets caught up in this uh, kidnap plot, only for the young girl he's kidnapped to accidentally drown, setting her father off on a course of vengeance, uh, which ultimately does not end well for anyone concerned. But this is a really beautiful film. It's a little more subtle than the other two films in in the series. Uh, But at the same time, much like Joint Security Area, I think it's a very overlooked um, entry in Pacembrook's filmography. I think there's some really interesting moments in it and certainly with the character of Ryu who's uh, this deaf man who's trying to do his best to raise money so he's pay for his sister's kidney transplant. I mean, he tries to um, go through the black market and ends up having one of his own kidneys taken. There's a really beautifully shot uh, sex scene in this which uh, uh, Ryu and his girlfriend sign language to each other and it's does what the vengeance trilogy does it shows vengeance but in the most beautifully shot way and I think if you're overlooking simply invention just focusing on oh boy you're really doing yourself a disservice as we've obviously proven already with this list because I've put *Lady vengeance a lot higher than oh boy but simply vengeance is definitely one that uh, needs to be recognized as well uh, yeah
1: obviously another Great performance in there by the fantastic Song Kang Ho in it as well. Yeah, I think it um I don't really understand why it doesn't get the love. It was certainly recognised by Asian film nerds at the time. But um <coughs> Oh god do me. Um some reason Old Boy just went that extra notch higher, didn't it? And maybe just 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 cast a big shadow over it and people didn't it didn't really get a chance to breathe certainly over here in the west and then lady vengeance is just such a wonderful movie (laughs) although one i dread to watch because it gets so grim and dark um but yeah i think you're right i don't think people give it enough credit i will say the dvd i had the subtitles run out one minute before the end, and you don't know what Song Kang Ho's character is saying at the very end. I need to go back and find out. I've got the um, Arrow did a box set a couple of years ago with all three in, so I, I will be going back to relook at that. In fact, may, well, even <laughs> though even though our audience let us down and didn't let us cover the Vengeance trilogy as our uh, 75th birthday present, we will no doubt bring all those films. To play because they're all really good so yeah I agree I agree and again one I'm surprised isn't already on the list.
0: Uh, fun fact um, the head of furb Window Films used to work for Arrow and was um, responsible for heading up that Asian Extreme label I only found that out because Ferb okay. Window Films have just recently launched a podcast which is really good so go check that out once you've finished listening to our whole archive
1: that would be the second best station cinema fo- podcast in the UK, right? After ours.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't really want to say that because at the moment it's it's quite it's uh like it's becoming quite the moment that the Asian the Asian podcasts and the Twitter bloggers and like the community is coming together and now you're going and pulling a dot to doom on us as the wild card of this organization.
1: Well, you know we've so. got we've got we've got branding, you know. Got branding to think of. I'm sure we can we all got work... we Funko Pops. We can all work together. Spreading yeah. the good word. And if they want to give us free stuff, they can be the best.
0: Next up on the list, um, it's a, a film that we've covered on this episode, and that's Female Prisoner 701, Scorpion. Um, which is a How fun this... revenge tale.
1: How's this not on the list already? How have you found these films? <laughs>
0: I know, it's a Miko Kaji <laughs> movie and we haven't just crammed it on the list already. <laughs> I
1: know, that's how bizarre. Yeah. I mean yeah, you I mean give your pitch, but it's in. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I mean this is a woman in prison movie, obviously and kind of a change from like the New World Picture ones, like the big dollhouse and the big birdcage, uh obviously this one being you know, a Japanese one. So it's got a real different sort of style to it and there's certainly a highlight element of sleeves right off the bat as we get the scene of the inmates being forced to walk naked over the um over the bar while that guard just leches underneath them but no i think this is a it's a really fun one where obviously she plays this this woman who was set up by a detective um, and is basically sentenced to do a hard time in a wid- uh, women's prison where all the guards are just sadistic and horny, and she, at the same time, she has to deal with, like, rival gangmates and working out how she's going to pull off this amazing escape. But it's the first in the series, and, I mean, I really enjoyed this one. Miko Kaji is just great, as always. I mean, whether it's in this or Lady Snowblood or the Stray Cat Rock series, I think she's never really put in sort of, like, a bad performance she's very much like to these sort of movies what Pam greer is black exploitation cinema
1: yeah i mean she's got she's got a previous career and uh, there's a bunch of other films before she i think she was at the katsu studio wasn't she but they wanted her to get into pink movies and she said no Yeah. And sort of broke out and then just did these iconic roles like lady snowblood and and and, and scorpion and i mean some words are bandied around a lot but i think along with bridget lynn she's iconic properly iconic there's images of her even if you haven't seen the films there's images of her you know is this the one where she where after she's escaped she's got that black outfit with a big wide rim hat isn't it yes and, this is the It's you know,
0: um, the... it gave us obviously that iconic shot of her with like the big big rifle Mm. Uh, but yeah, her in black with with the big wide-brimmed hat is, is sort of like one of the iconic shots of this movie. Um, there's also that scene where she's um, being abused in the flauters into a disco floor for no apparent reason.
1: Yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> there is... All, all all these films have a bit of sort of 60s, 70s psychedelia going on at the same time, don't they? Oh yeah, they,
0: these are real sort of grindhouse efforts for sure and mm. I think... If you're a fan of like you know the Pinky Violence movies, then this is going to be right up your street, as it's pretty much more of the same. Just a lot of women kicking a lot of ass, and a uh, fairly high amount of sleaze thrown in as
1: well. In- indeed, but there's a, a, just a little bit extra class with um yeah with the lead actress, I think. But yeah, no, I, again, I, I don't... Ah, oh, jeez. My job's getting harder, because you've picked three so far that I could easily have picked.
0: Next! <laughs> okay. Um, as is always the way with these lists, I've gone with a film from whichever anime series is sort of my obsessions at the time. Previously, we had uh, Girls on Panzer the movie, and this time around, we got Goblin Slayer, Goblin's Crown, the first feature length movie from the rather awesome uh, show Goblin Slayer. It's um, you know, it's just a fantasy anime in which you got the Goblin Slayer. Who's this? who um, is just obsessed with killing uh, goblins after they brutally murdered his sister and this is just basically an extended version of the episode although we do get a really nice snowy setting as the party that we've grown so attached to uh, head to a ancient fortress to battle a big old powerful goblin and his horde um, if you like the series this is just more of the same if you didn't like the series just avoid this one because you're probably not going to like it but, um, yeah, this is just a really fun action anime. There's nothing too heavy. It doesn't get caught up in, like, heavy philosophy, and it's just really plays into that D&D-style edge that we've seen with, like, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? Um, those sorts of, uh, of animes. So it's uh, just really light, breezy fun.
1: So obviously I haven't seen this, but I will ask sort of the reverse question of something you just said. If you haven't seen the anime... Yeah. Cat or the or that the series. Could you watch this? standalone oh, yeah. Alone, or is it very much?
0: No, you can of... watch this. You can watch this. It gives you a handy recap of like the the best parts of the series when it starts. So if you've not seen seen this, then you can you can it's in the series. You can still watch this as a standalone um, and enjoy it all the same. It's on Crunchyroll, I believe, at the moment, and I think it may be on Funimation. I'm not too sure but it's easy to check it out.
1: Okay, obviously I haven't seen it. I've never even heard of it. And yes, it's a bit like, yeah, Girls and Panzer and Pat (laughs) (laughs) Labore. Any
0: anime that I mention that's not made by Ghibli.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's okay. It's a big, wide, wonderful world. Cool.
0: Uh, Next one, we have a film which is still not got a physical release over here. So, you have to go and get a digital copy, which is a little annoying, but that's The Witch, Part 1, The Subversion. Um, This one is very similar to Hannah, in the way that you've got a young girl who escapes from a laboratory, and she shacks up with this elderly couple who raise her as her own daughter, and ten years later, uh, the... People from the uh, lab tracker down, and come to find out only to awaken her supernatural powers. This one's a lot of fun. It's directed by Park Hoon Jung, who recently did the Tiger, and um, has announced the second part to this. So I'm really glad that this isn't you know one of those series where we have part one and then we never get a part two. Um, Alamike.
1: What? Well, just, just, just like, just like Dune's going to be. June's gonna be. Well, June's already <laughs> been
0: greenlit for its part two, so
1: i uh, i think it i think it i don't, i think it might if the reviews it's forgetting it might not it might get that blown out i think <laughs> but yeah i haven't seen this really? mate so i did sorry, a yeah. huge plug no. when it was
0: on film for us like you did
1: I was like, go see it people you did. and um uh, and i think i i think i might have even recorded it on the old tivo and it's been wiped God. or something but and, that, and like you say it hasn't had a
0: a physical release? No, you can pick Which... it up on like Sky Movies and and places you get your digital ones. It's really cheap, I mean, so you mm. can pick it up uh, cheap. But no, this is a really fun action romp with sort of like those supernatural elements in there. Um, I know a lot of people wanted to sort of compare it to the Raid because it's sort of that real sort of full-on action style to it. But I didn't think it went as hard as the Raid does, and certainly not as hard as the Night Comes for Us. Um, but I really enjoyed this one I'm excited to see where the sequels goes because obviously with the first one you're introducing characters establishing what powers are and things so with the second one it's obviously it removes all that foundation work and should be a lot more interesting to see where it goes with it but uh, no definitely an interesting start to uh, the series with that one
1: cool yes again I, I, I it, it's on the watch to, to watch list so I'm, I'm sure it deserves its place
0: Next up, we've got a film which the Daily Meld called for Ban This Sick Filth when it was uh, when it was released through Manga Entertainment. And I was really reminded of this one because I watched the second part, Legend of the Demon Womb, as part of Hooptober um, here in October. So I thought it was time because somehow this had also managed to slip from our previous list. And I'm of course talking about 1989's Legend of the Overfiend.
1: It's about yeah, I, I've been waiting for this. I thought this was going to come in episode 25, in episode 50, but if you're finally, you're finally, finally pulling the, the trigger on this
0: because <laughs> recently it doesn't revisit it. And while it obviously has those shocking elements, I mean, it's got demons and tentacles and rape and sex and violence and all the sort of things that we associate with the demon schoolgirl sort of genre the story is just really good in this one where you've obviously got the three worlds you've got the worlds of beasts, the worlds of demons and the world of humanity and you've got this beast man who basically believes that by finding the Overfiend, this legendary demonic being that is going to unite the three worlds and essentially create a new utopia. But unfortunately, what it does is all hell basically breaks loose and we're left with a post-apocalyptic Japan that made me so excited to go into part two, only to find out that it takes place during the first film. So, but um, yeah, I mean, once you get past the shock value of this one, there's a really great story there, and just car- uh, one that's been actually had fought and really intelligent ideas sort of put into it. So it's a shame that obviously it is so, you know, shocking um, on to look at that it really puts a lot of people off and I understand that if you don't like it because of those elements and certainly we could have put other movies on this like Demon City Shinjuku or we could put Wicked City on which certainly fill a similar criteria but I think when it came down to it out of those sort of movies Legend of the Overfiend was the one that sort of stood out to me sort of like as being above the rest so uh, representing the Demon and Schoolgirl genre Legend of the Overfiend
1: so I've never seen this, it just doesn't appeal to me. But I think it's fully deserving because I'm totally aware of it. And that place and time, that early, you know, that mm. video cassette era of Japanese anime coming over, uh Tokyo shock kind of stuff, yeah. You know, we 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 you know our first episode was Ghost in the Shell. And We've talked about Perfect Blue. We've talked about other films, and 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 although, although genre-wise this doesn't interest me, it's up there with those in terms of just name recognition alone, and surely's up there in you know it, its controversial nature, added to people wanting to go and see it. Yeah, it it's I'm 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 alright I'm alright with it existing, and I think it has a it has a place at the table because of what it is and what it represents. It definitely feels so.
0: And I think it's, while it's obviously not as highly regarded as many of it's sort of kin, I think it was very key to anime coming across, especially in like the eighties and nineties. Mm. And while we obviously said at the time that, you know, there was a large focus on the horror and the action titles that were being mainly put across by manga entertainment, I think that because it sort of was creating that sort of buzz that people were like looking at it going, well, what else is there? And it paved the way for like the likes of Akira and then Ghost in the Shell and everything else to sort of filter across as people just sort of discovered this new sort of art form. And yeah, I mean, you obviously have things like the Ghibli ones which are coming across as well, but I think this was the one that was really sort of getting the recognition out there. And I think, it, yes, it was shock value, initially but I think a lot of people the longevity of the title has just been because the story uh, of these films has been so good and people obviously complain that oh it's all butchered to hell but when you look at what's been removed from the film it's not really plot stuff it's just like stuff that's more for the gore hounds and like the people who like to be shocked by what they're watching so you're not really losing anything so don't listen to people when they go oh it's all butchered it's not as good as like the Japanese cut you really don't lose anything so and I'm sure if you look hard enough on the internet, you can find like a cheap copy of the perfect collection and watch them all uncut so your heart's content.
1: At the end of the day, it's just drawings, mate.
0: <laughs> well, we've got more of those drawings coming up next. <laughs> Go on, What's next? From 1986, we've got our first Ghibli title on the list, Castle in the Sky by Miyazaki. Um, this is a title that I keep coming back and forth to. It's not one I rate sort like the highest. It's real sort of middle ground territory for myself. But there is something very charming about the adventure of Castle in the Sky, with you know this young, these two young kids who are following this journey led by this magic crystal, and they discover this city in the clouds as, you know run by these automated robots and. You've got this evil military uh, general who's keen to utilize its weapon potential, and there's a really shocking moment where all these soldiers essentially just dropped out of the sky when the floors beneath them' removed and I'm thinking, wow, this is like a Ghibli movie we sort of associate this with being more sort of family fair, but that's kind of shocking for like what's been a pretty light-hearted adventure up until that point so
1: yeah i mean it it actually is the first Ghibli movie of course um Laputa. Um, and it's got, it's got a bit of steampunk going on, hasn't it? Or diesel punk, I forget which is which. Um, uh, yeah, it's not my favourite, but I think it's, again, it's important because of what it is. You know, it's, it's the first Ghibli movie. It's a, it's a Miyazaki movie. They could all get on here, couldn't they? I mean, the man's a, the man is, is a genius, um. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I've got nothing to say about it. Really, it's just a good film. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: next up, we've got one from Mike Month. And that's Takashi Mike's 2012, Lesson of the Evil. Um, as we said before, this is really like what would happen if Mike directed American Psycho, where you've got the popular high school teacher who hides a really dark side. <laughs> I'm still undecided on the ending of this movie, but certainly the lead up, where we see this, you know, this teacher who seems to be fun and he writes wrongs and he just seems like this really good natured person to only prove to have a very dark side. And as we said uh, before, back when we are doing the Mikke recaps, he's played by um, Hideaki Ito, who is just ridiculously good looking. And that's all I have to say on that. It's just like. It's sort of like you do a double take, it's like when you saw Anime Wong in um FIFA Bad Dad. It's sort of like this this person who just like shines above everyone else and you just have to constantly do this double take.
1: Yeah, no I mean, yeah, he's a he's a he's a, he's a, a man crush material, I'll give you that. I know <laughs> I know what you mean about the ending. It's like it got a got to be continued thing going on, hasn't it?
0: I would it's just the fact that we got that prolonged forty five minute massacre sequence. Mm. Which is like up there with like the finale of Hard Boiled, but it just feels like very gratuitous. And she's like, "Should I be enjoying this?" And then Mika sort of plays with our emotions because he sets up things that we're so accustomed to seeing, like you know, the the lone hero comes out of, out of nowhere and then fails. <laughs> and it's like those black comedy elements he works in it, but it's yeah, it's surprising this got past the center when you look at how long Battle Royale was banned for, especially in the States, and yet this one went through pretty much unscathed.
1: And yeah, School Massacre stuff is um, normally fairly unlikely to get a... Uh, certainly a gratuitous one. is <laughs> unlikely to get a full-on release in the States. Now, I love this movie. I I think it's one of later Mika's best movies. Um... By a long way, I think it's got great performances. I think he brings his A game in directing. I think the story structure is really well done because it kind of got flashbacks and things like that. Um, when I first saw it, I didn't even realize it was a Mika movie. That that's how I rate it. You know, it, it, I, I, I liked it before I even realized who directed it. I think I can't remember how I watched it. It must have been. On a plane or something like that. Maybe when I went to Hong Kong, cause I think I put, I don't know. I don't know how I saw it and how I wouldn't have known it was a Mika movie. The 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 um the DVD cover is just one of those awful Japanese things where the main stuff is in a tiny little box on it and it's covered a load of nonsense writing. <laughs> and there are so many Japanese DVDs like, that and you just you just miss it. Anyway, yeah, brilliant. Yes, you bastard. I can't. I can't choose that now.
0: Okay, uh, next up, we've got a film which not only features finger guns, a kung fu gorilla, and writing messages by Snake, is, of course, Tiang Long Bao Bao, or The Battle Wizard, <laughs> okay. from 1977, a delightful slice of kung fu weird, <laughs> um, that also features a fire wizard with telescopic chicken feet. Oh.
1: um.
0: This was a really fun show to record. It's also a really fun movie to watch, as um, it's just absolutely one of the most bonkers things that I think we've we've seen on the show.
1: Uh, you know, you know the way that I brought World of Kanako to the show, yeah. and you ended up liking it. A huge amount. In fact, you, you bought it to the top 50 last time.
0: Yeah, I did. So yeah.
1: This is your version of that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is just... It's bonkers. But great bonkers. And you can sit there and you can shred it apart. But you cannot deny at the core. It's just ridiculously enjoyable. You know, you can get some gonzo filmmaking, and at the end of the day, you can say, "Well, it, all it is is just stupidness." This is just fun with a capital F. I'm not even sure if it's meant to be comedic, mate. I'm not. I'm not. I don't care because it's <laughs> it's just got so many bonkers ideas and. It just—I don't know—I just, yeah. This is the this is one of the best films that you've bought that I bought along that I hadn't heard of before. When you said the Battle Wheel, I think I've never even heard of that. And even then, the title. Ty- Nothing to do, is it? <laughs> it's just I don't remember any battle wizards. I just well, remember you got, the,
0: you got the, the the wizard who lives in his disco lair. Yeah, I suppose um, I suppose he loses his legs at the start.
1: But I'm much <laughs> more interested he... in the fact he's got telescopic bird legs and he's got a gorilla, a kung fu gorilla downstairs. Who they don't even pretend is a freaking gorilla, it's just a man in a suit and it but it doesn't matter, but it's not <sighs> A lot of these things you can sort of say, well, oh, that's a bit camp or something like that, can't yeah. you? I don't, I don't even think it's camp. I just think it's Hong Kong filmmaking at its finest. And people just made shit up as they went along. And said, oh, we found it's gorilla, so we'll have to make use of that then. <laughs> and the girl that just throws snakes at people. <laughs> oh, mate. Great choice. Um,
0: Next up, we have the ironically titled Penguin's Memory, A Tale of Happiness, aka Penguin's um, Happy Feet Meets the Deer Hunter from 1985.
1: (laughs) Again. Well, we're laughing, but it's not very funny. (laughs) Yeah, um, mate, I mean this is another one you brought to the show and I was thinking what the fuck are you doing? Bringing some (laughs) some movie about based on a Suntory mascot from a from a from a whiskey campaign and it's just wonderful because it's a really serious movie and you start watching it and you think yeah they're penguins and then it doesn't matter and it just generates this world that isn't really about penguins at all is it it's about
0: no as you
1: say it's it's not quite as well it's not as long as the deer hunter um and it's not quite as dark but i tell you it's getting there but it's just wonderful and again it's one of those movies you think why don't more people know about this
0: I mean yeah, I mean this is pretty much a, a lost movie. It is available readily on the internet, so you can you can find it on YouTube and whatnot. But I had to thank Will Slater over Exploding Helicopter for introducing me to this one. But no, we've got this young penguin called Mike who comes back from Vietnam and while his friends and family want to regard him as this war hero, he comes back shell shocked and it's about him dealing with the PTSD. As he tries to put his life together. And he takes a job in the library. And he has a potential relationship. With this really happy girl called Maria. Who sings. And has spontaneous musical moments. And he doesn't hurt. She's also involved with this doctor. Who's also a penguin. Uh, it's, it's the most bonkers medium. You can tell this sort of story in. But it's so deeply affecting. That. It's hard to ignore it and not include it on this because I just want people, more people to discover it because it's um, such a weirdly unique movie.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's back on my old blog when I used to rate things. It would be a highly recommended. It's, it's a must-watch. You must if you're a fan of this show. You must hunt it down. It is on YouTube, and mm. it's not 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 many movies. Yeah, I, I I've I found a laser disc copy of it on ebay which was an expense too far i'm afraid even for me um but it needs to be better known so thank you will as well even though it's you know one generation removed and you've recommended it to you great great choice
0: um next we've got another recent discovery for myself and that's evil dead trap from 1988 um this is a really, really fun movie. It's kind of like a Haunted House. It's kind of like a slasher movie. It's got a few different elements thrown in there where you've got uh, this late night TV host who is investigating this uh, potential snuff movie that's been sent to her only to find herself and her crew being stalked by this mass killer who may be hiding an even more weirder secret than that. But this one's really good. It's um, visually very interesting and it's the first in a trilogy in which we talked about this again and we talked about this on our last episode. But it's just a, one of those films that came out again in that sort of tailwind of the um, the J-horror boom. So it was on a very minor label when it came over here to the UK. But it's one definitely worth checking out. As I was really surprised that this is not got a bigger cult cool following than it has. Because it sort of has all those elements there there that you would think that... Would make it uh, have more, so sort of resonate with people, and I think it would be nice if, like someone like you know Terracotta or Fed Window picked it up. I mean, Terracotta in particular, they would go really nice alongside uh, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, uh, which is like the Japanese Evil Dead. And I think this one, this one, if you've seen the uh, X Files episode Humbug, the ending may seem a little familiar, but it's uh, still really good nonetheless.
1: I mean, like you say, you brought up this last episode. I haven't seen it, but I had heard of it. Well, I don't think I've seen it, and I've heard of it, but I you know, I put it in the um, Legend of the Overfiend category, not in terms of its content, but because it's just one of those movies that you've heard of, <laughs> that, that probably I dismissed because I thought, oh, they're just playing on Evil Dead, blah, 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 or something like that. Yeah. But um, when you described it last week, when you um, aligned it with the great... Is it season one X Files episode Humbug? I think that's what No, the first no it's, is it season two or three? I don't know.
0: It, I think it's either two or three. I think it's in the same season as Home, which is also a really home, great episode. Oh, I
1: think it's earlier than Home. Home's fucking dark. <laughs> that's the one um, with the incestuous, weird. Yes, creatures. that was also the, Yeah, that's the scariest one um, ever.
0: It was the first episode of the X Files share I ever watched. <laughs> she said that she she first episode she watched and it is like they got the mothering board on like a gunny and the sons having sex with her. I thought it was great.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then she ended up having um, one of her so- Anyway, um yes, no, this is yeah, humbug's written by the same guy that the did Climb Buckman's Final Repose and yep. Josie Chung's from Out of Space, isn't it? Anyway, that's not what this show's about. We could do an X Files um podcast, but I'm pretty sure there's too many of them. Um yeah, no, I want to watch it. I really, 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 really want to watch it. So okay. that's all I can say, and I'm sure it deserves its place.
0: Cool. Um, next up, from 2001, it's another Takashi Miike entry. Uh, there's going to be a few Miike entries, just because obviously we've do Miike Month, it highlighted a few titles to myself that I hadn't seen before, and this is why they're now making it on the list. But this film opens with a very intriguing question. Have you ever done it with your dad? We, of course, talked about Visitor Q, <laughs> um, a very unique movie, to say the least, and one of the blackest of black comedies um, in which the mysterious visitor, who we shall refer to as being Q, uh, works his way into the home life of a rather dysfunctional family where the daughter's a prostitute, the father is visiting <laughs> um, his daughter as a prostitute, um, while the mother is uh being constantly beaten up by her son and also having a sideline in dealing heroin and being a dominatrix and the son is dealing with his own bullying and issues it sounds like pink Fl- when you th- when you explain the plot it sounds like pink flamingos and one of these movies that you'd be like i would never watch that or nor enjoy it in like a million years but like pink flamingos it's just strangely watchable
1: um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, uh, yeah, like, oh, we've talked about this in another episode, it was the first film I rented from lovefilm.com, um, and that's probably why they ended, no, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost, to my mind, a bit of a lost classic, um, back, I guess, when, when we first started finding out about Miko films, and it was all audition, and you knew he'd done these films like Rainy Dog in the Past. And and then a load of weird shit came out. Well, this was one of the weird shits that came out. <laughs> and it's... Yeah, if you thought Happiness of the katakuris was nuts, this is... Turn, turn the dial up a little bit. But it is... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting film. I, I, I get what you're saying about the whole... Um, pink flamingos thing um it deals with a lot of taboos <laughs> well, they're not even taboo the things they wouldn't even think about coming up um doesn't isn't the mum doesn't she let people does not she solve the issues with breast milk and stuff i mean there's she's
0: um yeah she lactates <laughs> hence the wonderful comment uh that we had on the german's guide to midnight cinema when we posted this and it has got got milk yeah <laughs> thanks guys <laughs>
1: yeah no it's a it's a really interesting film from a really Interesting part of Mike's filmography that somehow I think has almost been forgotten about. You know, you, we've seen all these lots of those films from that time get re-released recently. Not just Mike films, but you know, people like Arrow and the like have been doing lots of restorations or re-releases of films in and around this time. And I'm surprised, Visitor Q hasn't um in some ways it feels more like a Chikamoto film rather than a Mike film if that's okay if, if you know what i mean um yeah it's it, it, but yeah no yeah again one of those films we could have had on the list before i think but of course you uh first time watch for you
0: Indeed, um, but it's you know it's good to cross it off along with several other titles when we're doing Miku month. But uh, you can obviously go back and listen to our full recaps uh, of the whole month as we spent the whole of September watching nothing but Miku. Well, you you did, well, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I,
1: did. I was just there for moral support <laughs> and not um, giving you much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next up, we got another Ghibli film, and that's Nausicaä Valley of the Wind. Um, from 1984. This was a film that I put off watching for like, the longest time because I was a bit of a animation snob. And the animation, I thought, was a little, little too primitive the first time I watched this. And it's kind of a shame, really, because it's essentially a post-apocalyptic version of Princess Mononoke, uh, tying into the usual uh, Murasaki theme of nature versus humanity or nature versus industry, whichever way you want to look at it. And, yeah, I just really enjoyed this. I think it's a really interesting Adventure on, where you've obviously got Nausicaa who um is sort of like the leader of one of the last cities in uh, humanity, who um live in this this small bubble of uh of life, and uh, while the world is now basically ruled by giant insects, but um I, for some reason again Nausicaa is one that's fallen by the wayside to a lot of people. They tend to focus on that middle period of light, like, spirit away, house, moving castle. Um, and then we never really talk about Nausicaa for whatever reason. It's kind of a shame.
1: And I've never seen it. Have you not? No, it's one of those. It's actually uh, one of my dark, next... dark secrets.
0: <laughs> it's next up because obviously we're doing the Ghibli movies in order. So it's, it follows on from Castle Cagliostro, which so mm, okay. was the first one. And then uh, Valley of the Wind was second. So
1: Yeah, so, so it's not technically a Ghibli film, but it is a Miyazaki film because yeah the first Ghibli film like we said before is Laputa so, but they made these the, as a studio they didn't exist in the, quite the same way ok brilliant well, I look forward to watching that and that would be nice because I, I, again I hadn't seen Castle of Cagliostro either and uh, that was really enjoyable you're going to tell me you're bringing that to the show in a minute aren't you
0: <laughs> we already watched Cagli- Castle of Cagliostro
1: no what I mean is that you're going to bring it to your top oh, yeah, top 25 in a minute <laughs>
0: I'm, no I've not uh, got oh, that no. one on there so. okay. you got one there just gotta find number 24 now Steve.
1: <laughs> indeed
0: um, next up is another one that I'm surprised we haven't included already uh, that's Chan Wook's 2006 film I'm a Cyborg but that's okay also known as the girl's own version of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest in which a uh, young girl believes herself to be a cyborg and forms a relationship of sorts with a young man who believes he can steal the souls of people um, this is kind of like, I think, the closest that Chan-wook has got to making like, a movie like Amelie. Um, he originally made this for his daughter, but it sort of taps into a lighter side of him. Certainly, no one's getting hit with a hammer, there's no quest for revenge, it's just a really light time. And I think it's it, it's just a delightful film. I think it's also got the sort of advantage of having Imsu Junk as the lead, who's just got this real sort of like Zooey Deschanel, um presence to her as uh, sort of like the doe-eyed lead of this one and I think she's just phenomenal and really sort of sells this idea of this girl who thinks that she's a cyborg so she licks batteries to charge herself and forms this plot to charge herself using the lightning and it's it's just a really charming movie it's not nothing too particularly heavy um, but um, it's one that I enjoyed all the same.
1: Um, well, M. Sue Young, of course, is in Taylor Two Sisters, so <coughs> I think this is her second entrance onto the list. Um, this, you're an arsehole, because this was, well, it's was my own fault. I've had two other attempts, chances to bring this into my list. This is one of my favourite films. Um, it used to be a little routine, I used to always watch it on my birthday for some reason. I, I don't know what that says about me. But everything you say, absolutely, 100% agree. Um, if you're one of those people, which I do include myself, that think sometimes Park Chan-wook is a bit of a style over substance, um, this is the movie which says, Sure, but my God, it's beautiful. <laughs> this, I think this is his prettiest movie by far and i think it's it's whimsical i I like your making it an analogous to amelie it's in that kind of realm it's a bit whimsical there some darkness the fact it's all set in a mental asylum (laughs) and quite possibly these people are mentally ill um but yeah no i love it i'm yeah i'm i'm happy you've got it on the list i'm sad that you got it on the list not me Okay. But that's okay, I'm a cyborg. <laughs>
0: um, next on the list is a film by Zhang Zimo, who went to the States and did The Great Wall, which I think a lot of people really bash because it was Matt Damon in a movie about The Great Wall. But if you didn't watch The Great Wall, you're doing yourself a real disservice because The Great Wall was fantastic and featured a predominantly Asian cast speaking obviously uh, their native tongue and Matt Damon was there basically just so that they could hawk it to the Americans, it felt like, but kind of like Raymond Blair in uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters.
1: Or any Chinese actress in any Hong Kong film made since 2005. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's the responsibility, it's the funding, it's the demands that they put in there. Same way if you have make a film in Canada, you have to cast one Canadian actor. Yep. And it's why Joe Dante always uses Rob Piccolo
1: is that is that right yeah i mean these things happen all over the place yeah um and and it's just, it's just a flip flop but normally it's um the meg you saw the meg right had to have yep. um uh, what's her name in it i can't remember the actress's name
0: Is it young Bing
1: bing lee, lee Bing Bing. Li Bing sorry. As opposed to Fan Bing Bing, who's, who's who's the other one. But yes, yeah Li Bing is just there for the Chinese market. It works both ways. Um, i never seen it. Anyway, but what film have you chosen? Oh, the film I've chosen. Because we can do. <laughs> about that, The Great Wall. We. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're going talk about his follow-up. We're 2018, Shadow. Uh, which feels like a real companion piece to his trilogy of films, which was Hero, uh, House of Flying Daggers, and Curse of the Golden Flower. And with Shadow, the colour palette is blacks and greys as uh, you have two warring kingdoms and it's probably most memorable for the use of the blade umbrella probably the coolest fashion accessory ever Um, this is just a really great movie and leans more into the action sort of slant than uh, making it more comparable to like hero um, or certainly uh, curse the god and flower it sort of leans certainly more into the action than the art house whimsy that uh, you know that sort of fell on um, house of flying daggers so this is one that for whatever reason it came out and got really overlooked and I've no idea why it's sort obviously of had you know the name recognition of being a director who brought hero. hero um, and visually it's very interesting and the action scenes absolutely stunning as well but shadow is one that I would recommend just definitely checking out
1: so I've got a huge confession to make Okay, I'm staring at the DVD now and I've never watched it and I don't <laughs> know why I, 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 I do have a trouble with the director's films, I find it hard to connect with them emotionally I'm not sure why, maybe it's because they're all so beautiful I'm, I've never seen The Great Wall either so I was dissing it then and I have no reason to diss it or not diss it but um, Hero uh, Flying Daggers Curse of whatever it is with J Chew I enjoy them as visual treats. I don't connect with them emotionally. But saying that, I bought that food, that film site unseen and it's on the you know, it's halfway up the to watch list, so you've just given more impetus to slide it up the list I guess. Um
0: Next up we have one of Steven's favourite kaijus of all time and the guy who's accompanied by this song. Camera. camera, camera, camera is really me, camera is filled with meat, we've been eating camera,
1: shell teeth, eyes, flames, claws, breath, scales, fun, Dr. Forrester is kind of a jerk, and Frank is really dumb too. We have to take part in these lame
0: experiments. But do we complain? No. No. Yes. Huh? So we hike all over the place. And talk of a thousand wonderful days. Everybody now, Gamera, Gamera is, is really, really sweet. sweet. He is, is filled with, with turtle meat. meat. Now we, we have commercial
1: signs.
0: It's Gamera versus Guran from 1969 um this is one of the gamma movies i'm just like absolutely obsessed with it also features a scene where gamma does the parallel bars and fights giron who is essentially what happens when you tape a steak knife to your dog's head please don't do that please don't do that um Basically two young boys uh, discover a flying saucer that they get into and it takes them to Earth's Twin Star Where they encounter a pair of beautiful BWBS women who are secretly planning to eat their brains Um, And they have the guard dog Guron who uh, Gammo being the friend of all children is forced to battle in order to help rescue them This one is just wonderfully bonkers kaiju goodness it's just super fun and really showcases all the best that gamma it has i mean he's a fire-breathing space turtle who as we said already is a friend to all children despite featuring in some of the most violent kaiju movies of all time but uh this one's definitely worth checking out and yeah i just had a really fun time with this one so
1: Yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I have pulled out my Gamera box set to watch it. I haven't seen it yet, but you know I'm a big Gamera fan, and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic.
0: Mm. It's on the Arrow player as well, so uh, if you haven't got the box set, you can check it out there as well. Next, I've got a film by one of Stephen's favourite directors, Bong Joon-ho. Yes! With the Academy Award-winning Parasite from 2019, um, in which the... A family work their way into the lives of a wealthy family only to find out the previous help of the household haven't quite moved on and are keen to take the house back for themselves um Bong Joon-ho was a director I sort of dismissed for the longest time because I didn't like the host and like a lot of you people out there who just really love the host and I just don't get the appeal but you know all the more power to you but I went on a bit of a binge of his uh, material. I watched things like Okja. We watched Mother on the show. And uh, Parasite was obviously included in that as well. So I've still got a few titles like um, Memories of Murder still to watch. Which we will no doubt get around to watch at some point. And um, this one I really enjoyed. I think it was just a, a phenomenal film. And just seeing you know how this family who were basically trying to work their way out of the slumps and live off, uh, get a taste of the final life by uh, working their way into this family's uh, life as the help. I think it was just a really interesting film and it's just absolutely stunningly shot and I'm excited to see where he goes next. I don't know what he's uh, got planned
1: next. Uh, I we could Wikipedia him I'm sure. Uh, no, I mean I I'm on record saying a, a lot of things about this film um that it's not his best that there's there, there, there's a lot of money went behind with getting it to win the Oscar, blah 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 however it's still a bloody good film <laughs> it's hmm. it's an excellent... I think bong is my favorite South Korean director um just thinking around maybe Kim but but I think as a body of work I mean you've mentioned memories of murder as a it's a I don't know how we haven't that to the show it that's one of the greatest ones of all time i was delighted to bring mother which i think you enjoyed mother um, yes my voice good um and he the, the thing i like about bong is is that yes he floats around different genres but he has a very clear message you know he's very interested in the inequalities that that gap between the haves and the have nots i mean <laughs> That's what Squid Game is all about, as well. But so that, that it, that's definitely an object, a, a subject of great interest to creative types in South Korea. Um, and Parasite is just full of these. I mean, it's his best-looking film. Why they did a black and white version, the mind boggles. I mean, there's a whole scene set on artificial grass, which surely can only work with bright green glass and quite bright, bright green grass and blood Um, how it would work in black and white I don't know, I do have I got the Bong Joon Ho box set that they put out this year which has the black and white version on it, I will watch it but I just don't understand there are films I understand in black and white, like the Wolverine Wolverine film
0: Logan, Logan,
1: Yeah. yeah I think putting that in black and white adds to it, I think Fury Road is kind of interesting in black and white as well this is just... What the fuck? Anyway, never mind. Fantastic film. Good choice. It had to be on here, it, mate. It's the most well-regarded Asian film of all time. Because it's got Oscars. And... <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 great. And, you know, it's got wonderful quotable moments. Um, great performances. Fantastic cast. Um... Just, just just, genius, genius. It's just not my favourite born John Hope. Okay,
0: <laughs> Okay, um, next up we have another offering from Takashi Mike, and this ties in very well to Stephen's favourite TV show that he's named dropped a few times already in this episode. It's As the Gods Will from 2014 uh, which has the wonderful tagline, Oh my God, please return my tedious every day. Um, in which a group of high school students are forced to play a variety of children's games by aliens and um, they are entered into a rather interesting death game. Frustratingly, this ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> that has not been any plans to follow up with even though it's obviously been completed in the original manga form. Um, Yeah Asuka will again really overlooked but really good and I'm hoping now that The Squid Games has been sort of made money. People go and check this out as well.
1: They they really should. Um, I'm sorry, Mister Writer Director of Squid Game. You fucking did see this, (laughs) and you you did copy the idea, if not from the film, from the manga. Although the timelines don't necessarily add up. So he's he's absolutely insistent that he came up with the idea in 2008 which predates even the manga How, but it doesn't matter they, 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 they've got similar ideas, different premises obviously this is aliens as you say, this is school kids as well whereas Source of, with gamers grown ups and very much human beings behind the scenes um, yeah it's just a, another lovely one, the only reason I never would recommend it is because it literally ends on a cliffhanger as you say and i don't think there's any interest in, br- in bringing it back saying that if they can do a sequel to um great yokai war um some decade or so later maybe there's hope but i'm pretty certain the actors have all grown up <laughs> <laughs> so, True. so yeah, no, good, good, good choice. I, I agree with you. Like, like, lesson of the evil. I think there, there are some modern Mika films that get criminally overlooked. So yeah, really, really do recommend it. And and I think it's, I think it's well, you obviously managed to watch it, so it must be available somehow. It's out there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I may mean. wink,
0: <laughs> <nudge>, wink, wink. <laughs> Um, next up from 1994, we have uh, Stephen Chow's Love on Delivery, featuring a, um, Stephen Chow playing a dim sum delivery driver who falls in love with a judo student who in turn gets humiliated by her boyfriend and seeks the help of an aging master to teach him the half fast karate style of karate kid style. Um, This is just classic Stephen Chow bonkers. I mean, there's a whole scene where you've got a bunch of uh, people dressing up in Garfield masks of various quality trying to seduce this young lady. Because he, um, at one point, dons a Garfield mask to uh, deliver some vigilante style justice. But uh, this is wonderfully bonkers it's just got such good energy to it and makes me wonder why there hasn't been like a Stephen Chow box set or just been like a line of like the Stephen Chow movies put out because they're sort of all over the place in like terms of the availability but uh, Love and Delivery is one that is definitely worth checking out and I f- believe it's still on Amazon Prime
1: yeah I watched it a couple of years ago just stumbled across it um, it's an utter I mean oh, I'm a big Stephen Chow guy right Um, and not just because he's got a good English name, but it's just an absolute treat. If you are willing to enjoy Tao Stephen Chow comedy, and you want to go away from the, the, that sort of post, um, God of Cookery world where he became a superstar, this is much more low budget and, but it's just fantastic and it's so charming and, it's just mental, and the fact it even exists is wonderful. And the fact that that you like you say it's on Amazon, I, I think it's been on other platforms as well in the past. There must be something odd about its rights because lots of other films in around this time you can't get hold of. Um, yeah, I mean, it's is it the best Steven Chow film of all time? No, but it's fantastic, and yeah, you you know just surreal but charming.
0: According to our list, King of Comedy is the best Stephen Chow movie of all time. And I would stand by that. (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, next up we've got the film which revived the interest in Ghibli movies and also got a lot of Oscar buzz behind it as well. It is 2001 Spirited Away. Um, in which a young girl finds herself trapped in the world of spirits and is forced to work in a bathhouse while trying to free her parents who have been turned into pigs. This is um, the film which obviously paved the way for House Moving Castle and in many ways revived a lot of interest in the Ghibli back catalogue because we'd obviously had that sort of big uh, burst of interest when, like, Valley of the Wind came out and suddenly Kiki's delivery service came out and then interest has sort of faded away um and then spiritual Away just like really put uh, Murazaki back on the on the map of being like you know the animation director of notes so
1: yeah i i the thing that makes me sad is, is if you just tell me it's 20 years old um this is 30. yeah i yeah <laughs> i know um i remember Watching this with my children, and then getting very upset about the parents turning into pigs, and 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 there's all those yokai. All these wonderful character designs are obviously drawn from you know Japanese history. Um, the story is lovely. The animation is lovely. I know a lot of people have not hate for it, but they're disappointed. A bit like I feel about Parasite. Okay. Other people feel that Spirited Away maybe has overshadowed. It's a lesser movie than some of the others, maybe. I know a lot of people love Princess Mononoke. I love My Neighbor Totoro. I, you know, they, they are better movies. But I do think there's just something about the visuals on this one, about the story, about the pacing, um, just really appeals to all ages. I might, my you know my kids are a little bit scared of it, but they also loved it. And yeah, and that's just, I've just aged myself. I've I've, I've dated myself terribly. But yeah, great movie. And again, one of those ones I thought, really? We haven't mentioned that before?
0: No, for whatever reason we haven't. Um, Certainly the bathhouse sequences are the best parts of the film, including the Radish Sprite, who is essentially an elephant in a fong. (laughs) Um, There's just so many charming elements when you look at that bathhouse sequence and just like level detail and all these different spirits uh, coming to there and obviously you've got like the likes in no face which gave us our favourite gift in the world of me at a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I really like Spirited Away and the fact it wasn't on our list I thought I would correct with my own list.
1: No, absolutely. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think you've given us twenty so far. And there were 10 that I was floating around with on my list. <laughs> Never mind.
0: Um, next up, we have a film by another legendary director of anime, anime, and that's Satoshi Kon, with his celebration of the history of Japanese cinema with Millennium Actress from 2001, um, in which a documentary crew set out to find an elusive actress who was... Uh, basically vanished from society in doing so then her telling her story they find themselves slowly worked into a life history in a film that as we said already it charts the almost the entire history of uh, Japanese cinema and while one of the more overlooked entries on um cons filmography obviously the likes of perfect blue Paprika, Tokyo Godfathers are all widely rega- uh, regarded. Millennium Actress is one that is just easily stands up with the best of his work and is just a truly wonderful piece of work um, and one definitely worth checking out.
1: I mean, there is a there is a possibility that all his films will end up on our top two hundred.
0: <laughs> I believe we have everything on there. I'm just having a look. I mean, yes. I think everything is on there. I think the only thing that isn't on there is Paranoia Agent, right. which is obviously uh, his Twin Peaks-esque TV show, which again is really good, but it we can't include it on here, even though Letterbox will allow you to know this TV series the same way that it lets you list wrestling pay-per-views, if <laughs> <as> you, <laughs> you want to bulk out your numbers.
1: Okay, that, that's what Letterboxd is. It's just, oh, well, everyone I know that uses it does use it as a that as a metric oh but that's brilliant i mean i think without realizing it i you know i think adding us together it, it, con is probably our favorite anime director creator even more than definitely Miyazaki. i, I um, think
0: when the likes of con though he's it's not just he's a director of anime he, you you view his work as a director It's not like, which I think is like a very rare achievement, and I think there's only, I think only really Miyazaki is the only other anime director that you sort of view on the same level as like a live action director. Um, Other directors you sort of like it's hard to, hard to say their work rises outside of the medium so that the two are so comparable even though they obviously have produced astonishing works when we look at the likes of akira and ghost in the shell um those movies are certainly on the same thing but with con he's got that name recognition the same way that Miyazaki has
1: i mean it's that body of work as well it's the quality of everything every film that we've talked, I and mean, we haven't talked about Paprika, I think, yet on the show, have we? Even though nope. it's up there on our link, quite high. Um, um, the, the, there's something about his films which make you think, well, they could be easy live action movies, but they're animations and they're beautifully animated, but there is enough about them to mean that animation seems to be the right thing about it, right, right way to go. I know, like, there's a perfect blue live action, which is pants, um, but I don't want anyone to remake Millennium Actress live action. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um It's again, you, you know, I think you've, yeah, you've this Tokyo Godfathers um, to the show, and I, I wasn't really, I was aware of the names, but I hadn't really watched the films, and there, there's so much going on in all his films. You know, they're, they're not just the story. You know. Um, and this was lovely because you know I think I don't know about you but I went away and it inspired me to go and look up some stuff about the actresses it was based on and to find out who they were and what they're you know because he sort of melded two actresses into one hasn't he yeah um, that's right and, and it was I love a film like that I love a film which makes me want to go away and explore more yet it's still a rollicking good time and it the, the stuff was like the so much that isn't explained but it just happens you know the characters who appear in the past scenes <laughs> there's no there's no, there's no, no explanation as to why they just do and it's fantastic
0: and they're equally as surprised as we are that they're there
1: yeah that's right and it's so like
0: <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> and then they just keep they just go along with it like we are with for the ride with this whole story and, so. and then
1: one, I mean one character basically ends up in his own story um you know, we find out stuff during the. Yeah, it's just a, what a wonderful movie. Um, I don't. I don't know if I gushed about it enough at the time. <laughs> I, hmm. I, I hope. I, I hope I did because it's it's one of my favourites for sure. Cool.
0: Uh, next we've got our only Godzilla entry of this uh this list, and that's Godzilla vs King Ghidorah from nineteen ninety one. One of my all time favourite Godzilla movies. Um, you know, it's up there with the likes of Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla um destroy all monsters. And even uh Ibra Horror of the Deep, which for whatever reason has not made this list.
1: Not yet. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering who you made it on there. Um again, I, I, I obviously I've been I've been going through a bit of a Godzilla. I mean bit a bit of catch up, mate, I've had to be taking, but I am sort of slowly randomly going through the box set that I managed to finally get for a decent price—that you haven't even unwrapped yours, have you? <laughs> nope. Um, Keeping it nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, uh, well, we won't talk about the ones. That there's a couple. There's a couple of possibilities for my 25. But yes, why? Why versus King Ghidorah?
0: Uh, versus King Ghidorah. It's just a really fantastic movie. I mean, this was obviously the one that reintroduced Evil Godzilla as a re- surveillance called the Futurians because that's the sort of wordplay they use in these movies. And of course, it's a Godzilla movie, so of course it's aliens. They time travel from the 23rd century to warn them that the nation will be destroyed by Godzilla, and offer to help erase Godzilla from history by going back to World War II, when he was still a dinosaur, and erasing him from history. This one offers the origin story of Godzilla. It also features one of the most emotional moments in a Godzilla movie that I will not ruin for you. Um, as well as giving us the old powerful Mecha King Ghidorah. Which I was surprised wasn't in Godzilla vs. Kong. They went instead with the Mecha Godzilla route. But, you know, who am I to tell them how to run the billion dollar franchise? <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I really like this one is just again it's a lot of fun. It's as I say, it's fun seeing Godzilla turn evil again because he's uh they bring Godzilla back into present using modern day nuclear power, which of course makes him evil. So, um and uh, they are forced to revive the carcass of King Ghidorah, who gets royally his ass kicked in this one. Um and they bring him back as Mecha King Ghidorah.
1: I haven't seen this one yet. But I'm sure it's as charming as pretty much all the others. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if Criterion get their acting gear and do the next era of the Godzilla movies, then this will be included in there. So
1: so this is the Millennium Era, is that right? Uh, the Godzilla era will be Heisei. Heisai, Heis, that's right, yes. I, 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 am, I mean, I know the Showa era obviously had a lot of films in, so they could do a nice box set. I'd be extraordinarily surprised if they didn't like combine the next two eras into another box. So I think it did well.
0: Well, I mean, with the in terms of like the the eras, um, the Heisei era starts with Return of Godzilla in 1984, goes through to Godzilla vs. Destroy in 1995. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films there. We're then into the Millennium era with Godzilla 2000 Millennium, uh, which then goes for. Never one, two, three, four, five, six movies. Yeah, and then we're now into Rira era, which is uh, Shin Godzilla, and then the Godzilla animes. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah, I, 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 hope they do. Um, I quite like some of those later ones as well. Um, i still don't know what to think about Shin Godzilla, <laughs> but uh,
0: yes, yeah, Godzilla War Room is a bit of a different one, isn't it? <laughs>
1: It's the fact the fact that they sort of freeze Godzilla for half the movie, so he's just there, frozen. And well, lots of people. You know, there are a lot of Godzilla movies where a lot of people do a lot of chit chat, um, but then there's some really cool stuff that they do, like where you see Godzilla revolve, and there's like the fish Godzilla, the fish eyes that are dead, and I find that kind of interesting. But yeah, I hope. I, yeah, I hope they both do another live action godzilla now that the rights have all reverted and that they um that the criterion or someone similar collects those those missing two eras that we have
0: it would be really nice um of course now we've got to have have them the same size
1: cause otherwise it's going to look weird mate if they do that <laughs> i can buy a bookshelf just to fit it you know criterion collection <laughs> Just 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 for my Godzilla. I I've, I've got nothing out. The the Gamera set, the Digimon set, they're all don't match anything. My kaiju <laughs> shelf is a mess.
0: <laughs> um Right, so next up we have another film which has been largely forgotten, despite it obviously featuring in Tartan's HR Extreme Collection. And I have no idea why, because obviously John Wick is a big thing and I would have thought that this would have had some sort of revival, but it never really has. And that's 2005's A Bittersweet Life by Kim Ji-Woon. Another one we've covered on the show, um, a really fun revenge saga where you've got this... I'm think what the korean mob is called really um but you got kim kim woon who's a basically an enforcer for a hotel owned by this crime boss kang who assigns him this simple error while he's on a business trip to shadow his young mistress and he feels that she's obviously cheating on him and in the end he basically finds himself uh-huh. being wronged by his boss and uh, setting out on his own course of uh, revenge, but most like The Man From Nowhere, I just really don't understand why these movies haven't got more of a sort of presence, really, because I would have thought people would have been really un- up on them, but no, this is just a really phenomenal revenge tale, and one that's really stylishly
1: shot as well. Yeah, I mean, Kim Ji-Woon, another one of my favourite directors, um, you know, Long Park, Kim, Bong, they were the, they were the guys that i was um, brought up with um, we yeah we watched this for the show um, obviously it's got um, lee byung hun in it who is you know clearly one of the most famous korean faces in the world i won't tell i won't spoil you until he turns up in squid game but <laughs> that's, that that's full of things like that um and yeah, we watched it and I think um it'd been a long time since I'd seen it when we watched it. I think it was the first time for you. Um and yeah, it's 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 always very highly regarded, but it's not one that anyone goes to. If you know what I mean. Um, Kim ji, especially in Kim ji Woon's um well everyone always talks about Taylor Two Sisters, everyone always talks about the good, the bad, the weird, people talk about I saw the devil and um I think Bit of Sweet Life gets a bit overshadowed. Maybe it's because it's in between Turn Two Sisters and The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Um, but it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's bloody <laughs> brilliant, and you're a bastard again.
0: Um, next up, we've got <laughs> Helter Skelter from 2012, which we recently uh, covered on, on the show, um, in which this one's very similar to Black Swan in the fact that you've got uh, this model called uh, Rirko, who has basically become the manifestation of beauty. She's undergone all these plastic surgery treatments. It is now the top model um, who everyone is aspiring to. At the same time, her world is slowly falling apart, and more so when her new rival is introduced on the scene, sending her into a spiral of insanity and madness that can only end badly. Uh, but no Helter Skelter really beautifully short movie and another one I don't understand why more people aren't talking about it but directed by uh, Mika Ningguawa, um, one of the few female directors we've actually covered on the show so uh, but right, no, so, no this is a really beautifully short movie and just a really fun tale um, of this girl just like being driven to madness by her own obsessions of fame and success
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you you enabled me to finally watch this. It was another one on my watch pile. I think I'd maybe started watching it, I hadn't completed, but watching it again for the show. It's one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. Doesn't matter where it's from. It's just gloriously shot. That way, only photographers, proper photographers or cinematographers, can can make films. Um, It's got a really... Powerful social message. I mean, it's not. It's it's about ten years old, isn't it? Um, it? But it's it's got a powerful message that resonates, especially in that Asian world of obsession with beauty. Um, well acted. There's a bit of life imitating art about it. What happened to the lead character, the lead actress in her real life after this film? Very is 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 fascinating story in itself. I don't think I was quite as enraptured by it as you were, but. My God, it definitely deserves a place in our top 150.
0: And finally, topping out my list, is another Takashi Mika (laughs) entry, and uh, another first time watcher this year. Yeah. um, A film that is the perfect companion piece to 13 Assassins. It is 2017's Blade of the Immortal. Um, in which Benji, a highly skilled samurai who's also immortal, teams up with a young girl to help her get revenge on the, the swordsman who killed her family. Um, this is just a really great pop samurai movie, and certainly with this character, we get, finally get a character who we can put alongside the likes of Dubai and Lone Wolf, uh, the Lone Wolf and Co. movies. and... This one again, I just really had a lot of fun with. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's uh, another addition to the pop samurai um, front genre, which is something that's been really sorely overlooked in recent years. And I would love to see it come back, especially when we had all those great movies like the seventies and eighties. I said it be Lone Wolf and Cub and Baby Cart in Peril, and Peril. We had a Zumi um, in like the early two thousands, but sort of uh, the Immortals sort of like is a real film in a similar sort of vein to those and one that I just had an absolute blast with I thought it was really great and uh, had some really fantastic uh, battle scenes right from the start and throughout
1: I still haven't seen it but I have it on my shelf (laughs) 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 I'm sure it's fantastic I will get round to it There'll there'll be a there'll be a week I've got a cold or something and then I'll just put them all on one after the other and hopefully enjoy it immensely
0: so there we have the first 25 of the list we are going to take a quick break and when we return steven will be given his 25 for this year's list and uh yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what you come up with now steven but uh all that's to come up after the break
1: in world their podcasts already seem to address every imaginable subject. One man broke new ground with a seemingly random obsession about exploding helicopters in movies.
0: He was a podcaster on the edge, a maverick broadcaster who played by his own rules. Now he has a last chance to talk about the strange way he helicopters explode in film.
1: Exploding Helicopter, available on iTunes and Podomatic now. Think you know about chopper fireballs? Think again.
0: And we're back, Uh, obviously in the first half of tonight's rather extended program, shall we say. um, I gave my first, my 25 picks for our 50 that we're adding to the list it's now obviously time for stevens which we're going to get in a minute before we do though i just want to give a couple of shout outs uh first off can i want to give a shout out to third window films who have launched their own podcast which uh, the first episode maybe the second is out as you're hearing this now and well worth checking this out and our good friend uh daniel lackey has also launched a doctor who podcast as well which i highly recommend checking out because he is the sort of be and end when it comes to doctor who Trivia and just randomness. He's sort of like the guy who points out to me the fact that they film in a lot of quarries. Back so, onto uh,
1: is, is he? Uh, is he? Is 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 he a new Who or a classic Who or a,
0: both? Who? He's a, he, I mean, he watches the new Who, uh, but I think it's more just like I've I've like the same reason people watch The Walking Dead. Still, it's sort of like I've come this far, but you know, he's, <laughs> he sort of sticks with it. I mean, he's he's very much like a classic Whoian. Um, I believe is the correct term mm. for them. So um, it is a hoovian, absolutely a hoovian, and um, yeah. So you go and uh, check that. Out. Links well, of course, should be, be in that. the profile, um, and I will find. I'll out be there. checking that out because I'm a hoovian too. Plenty of space in that fan room. <laughs> okay, so uh, Stephen, Indeed. obviously, uh, I got to talk plenty in the first half. Now is my turn to. Sit back and there, uh, let you reel off your twenty-five, and uh, you know bring some culture to the list tonight,
1: no doubt. So, um, the floor is yours. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll bring any culture, mate. But we'll do it. <laughs> was that you popping a, a beer? <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm going to sit, um, yeah, I'm not too sit sure here if I'm any and enjoy
0: a frosty. I'm going to sit here and enjoy a nice frosty brew while you uh, regale us with the culture. I'm the. Uh... Yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought was happening. I'm the discarded couch in the Gallery
1: of this conversation. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping there's a few that you'll be able to join in on. I'm I'm, I'm certain there are a few you'll be able we'll to see. join in on. Um, I think I guess we have thrown away the premise that this in the numbering system because I'm sure there's plenty that you've mentioned that you would probably put further up a top. 100 or whatever top 75 that we're gonna you know i think that we're gonna get to so yeah
0: yeah definitely i think when it came to obviously when we did do this list i mean we're going off what we've seen at the time and what's available obviously and as we add on additional 50 each time we hit that you know those 25 uh episode marks Mm. i think you're always going to add stuff that you know would be higher up the rating and then you know maybe one day we'll sit down and we'll rearrange everything into like a more organized order but this is films that you know have resonated with ourselves uh as we said in the first half this isn't just like what's been critically acclaimed what's you know got the awards and these are just films that have resonated with ourselves so you may think why haven't we included certain films and it's just purely because it probably hasn't resonated with either of us or we just haven't seen it so uh if there's something you think should be on the list always let us know and we will check it out and who knows
1: maybe in the next 50 but um stephen back to uh yourself Back to, back back to me. Yeah, I'm just I'm just putting it off, mate. Okay, so funnily enough, my first choice is a film we talked about in the first half, which is to um, get my notes up. It is Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss or Alley Cat Rock Female Boss. It goes under many names. Yeah. But we, we like we we spoke about it earlier. Obviously, it's got the Miko Kaji. Um, aspect to it who who, you know an actress we both love but actually she's not the actual main star of this film the main star of this film is a Japanese pop star called Akiko Wada who's really interesting because I think she's like um not not full-on Japanese I think she might be half Korean she's really different looking she's tall I'm certain she's an out lesbian i can't i can't find this anywhere but for a 1970s japanese film she's bloody unusual um you know it's it's a kind of low budget girl biker movie um involving knife fights and um hmm. and gangs and it's just glorious now I, I have got the whole series but this is the only one i i've really watched of the um of the four or five um but I just think it's such a unique film. It's it, it's J- Japanese movies. Up, you know, I mean, you you posted something in the Facebook group this BFI list of seven of of. of, of the best japanese movies by year i mean this isn't going to appear in 1970 but it's just it it captures this mood this age this post 60s or sort of 60s westernization of maybe japanese culture certainly an acceptance of westernization with you know like 50s biker gangs and things but they're all chicks as well and i bloody Hmm. love it um i'm sure you've seen this
0: oh yeah definitely so i mean this was one of the first Box sets that really Arrow sort of like brought out. They fold this up with bouts Out honor and humanity. And I remember I bought this as a completely blind watch, um, and I just fell in love with this film especially. I mean, as you said already, this one's got um, Akita Wada, who's um, also goes by the nickname of Jote, which means Empress. And yeah, she's a tough biker chick. And this is great because I mean, this is in a katsu pinky violence movie as or you know like the girl gangs movie and these girls really kick a lot of ass I mean it's I think it's something with like Switchblade Sisters when it comes to like girl gang movies I think this one's absolutely fantastic and it has that really memorable ending where you've got the rival uh, Yakuza bosses are trying to chase them down in a beach buggy that goes every which way it can I mean they drive it up steps they drive it down a subway it's just insane <laughs> that final thing but um, Akira Wada as a biker chick is just so cool
1: yeah I mean it is this, this movie is cool I think I think that's the way that's the best way to say it, but it also captures the spirit of the age. So that's that's my number one, and there we go. Well, not my number one. This is the first one I've chosen tonight.
0: Yeah, after the grid start.
1: The next movie. (laughs) Okay, so the next movie I've chosen is a film I've talked about in title, at the very least, a hell of a lot. <laughs> um, and But we've never spoken about it. I don't think you've seen it. It's had a recent release. It's um, Giants and Toys by um, Yazuzu Masamura.
0: Yep, Giants and Toys, another good pick.
1: I've become a huge fan of Yazuzu Masamura recently, and another one of his films will appear on the list a bit later. Um, It's one of these Japanese directors... I I mean, I I saw Giants and Toys maybe ten years ago, it's a sort of random film, and it's this gloriously colour Japanese film um, from 1958, which might be funny I'd point that out, but again, I was looking at that list, and they're all black and white films until Giants and Toys... (laughs) Um, it's it's in this sort of genre of um sort of business office dramas it's hard to say it's it's a comedy as well it's a satire basically there's a couple of um uh sweet manufacturers candy companies that um are having a fight who's going to be the biggest in the market and they basically find this girl um who's real commoner and she's got terrible teeth, but they <laughs> they they dress her up in this space suit and stuff and 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 she becomes a superstar um and and it's the story of her and the, and and she's also sort of embodied this 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 sort of this new young woman, this new sort of popular idol she always becomes, <laughs> which is i guess something new in Japanese culture at the time, but obviously is now just. Thing, um, but it's also like taking the piss out of of the business culture of Japan, and you know, back in 1950, it's no different now. Um, again, another article you pointed out about those um, uh, the the salary workers, like working, working 60 hours overtime a week, and it's just ridiculous. Um, and and it's touched upon in many in many Japanese films. But yeah, giants and toys, and I was really so excited when um, I think it was Arrow put it out as a, as a blu-ray i'm sure it's been on the player as well um it's a film i've loved for years it's a film i should have bought to the list beforehand um it's just again it's glorious it's funny it's bright it's colorful it's got a great leading role and um oh, i love it
0: yeah definitely another good pick uh, one that i caught through arrow player um at the moment as we were coming on tonight I mean they've just shown the lineup for November and they're showing Sailor Suit and Machine Gun which I'm super excited to so it's great that Arrow are just going and picking not just the obvious titles they're doing some real deep dives into Asian cinema history and pulling out titles like this and better still putting it on the Arrow player so that more people can obviously find it and become obsessed with it and it was a shot of her in the space suit. I just you know how certain movies you can be sold on like one shot and it was just I saw that shot of her in the space and I was like I just really want to watch this movie I want to see what else there is there was something very intriguing about that one shot because um, I believe he also did uh, the tattoo one whose name I can never pronounce is Azumi? is it
1: uh, yeah, I can't remember what it. I, I, I could look it up. But yes, that is the film about the tattooist, yeah. yes. The ta- and the girl that gets the tattoo again, which I waxed lyrical. That's not the film later on in the list, but it could be. He did Blind Beast, I guess, is his fa- his most, okay. most famous film. Yeah. Also. Um, But yeah, just like I say, I, I, I fell over it years ago. I found it on some bizarre website you know, and downloaded it. And I'm just so happy to see it finally come over to the west and for people like you to see it i'm, I'm gonna we're gonna bring it to the show oh yeah it's... i just it's 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 just one of my favorite japanese movies um and it looks like i've got a lot of japanese movies today but we shall <laughs> we shall see i didn't think i was that into japanese film but clearly i am so that was giants and toys at number three is a film i've got you to thank for for bringing it to the show um daima gym the uh kaiju movie about a giant stone statue <laughs> yeah um um although i guess you gave us spoilers by um by previously introducing me to paul gasari the north korean film which clearly saw this <laughs> the maker saw this first but it's oh god a real unexpected treat um it's yeah it's it's i mean go back and listen to the episode but it, it it's the story of some a sort of a, a town that, that gets taken over by uh i would say an evil yeah, warlord yeah, that yeah, seems the, right. the thing you'd yeah. say in a that that you'd say in a review isn't it um but the town is looked after by this sort of myth, mythological statue this oh, you mean statue but it eventually is brought to life and rex Havoc and revenge on those that have um, wronged the villagers, but it's kind of. It's not. There's no intelligence to it. I mean, it just rips apart everybody, doesn't it? And it's. You know, it's scary, but it's one of those things that. It's one of those monsters. You know, some, some, sometimes there's a bit of a suspension of disbelief around some of our kaiju friends. This one, I think, just gets away with it because it's trying to be nothing more than a giant man, so some pretty simple practical effects but yeah i i wasn't expecting to enjoy it i bloody loved it and again went and picked up the box set when it came out i haven't watched the other two films yet that were made in exactly the same year in fact i think they're all made at exactly mm-hmm. the same time but i don't care if the other two are good or bad this one's just fantastic
0: yeah it's uh, very surprising because it's actually a real sort of pop samurai period piece um, even though it's obviously sold as being this big kaiju movie, I mean, Darja doesn't really turn up until the end, and that's basically just to lay waste to the town. Which isn't a spoiler as such, it's essentially what always happens, it's just that's pretty much all he does in this one, but yeah, it's, it was a real surprise another Arrow release, um, so great that they obviously picked up the trilogy, um, and it again is just continuing that line of really interesting titles they're putting out for and we see things like the uh it's like spook warfare and a 100 ghosts and things like that so uh judgment was uh Ooh. was i was excited because obviously right off the bat it's a kaiju movie um but what we got was just something a lot more exciting dare we say
1: i think i think so again it was just one of those films i'd never I'd, I'd heard of I'd heard of it that's that that's a lie to say I hadn't heard of it but I'd never seen it I never would probably got a chance to see it. I think we found copies on YouTube didn't we and things like that but to see it all nicely brushed up and stuck on a blu-ray is amazing um wait, what times we live in sir what times we live in
0: these are certainly exciting <laughs> times um that we are living in and um when you think back to like back when we first started as uh, Asian Cinema fans, I mean, back in like early 2000, and it was just basically you would see the same cycle of titles, and when we hit that sort of point where it sort of plateaued, and then Arrow obviously picked up from Tartan, and we've now entered into this whole new era of just like not just the the cult and you know the splatter and the kung fu um and like Yakuza movies, we're now seeing like a lot of really interesting titles that sort of go between that art house and the cult side and I think it's just it's just getting real exciting every month when you see like the arrow do their announcements and it's sort of like oh what you're going to get and you're just looking for those Asian titles there and I think they've uh they haven't disappointed yet and then you look at like Third window and terracotta are just also playing their part as well so it's yeah exciting times to be an Asian it, cinema fan it, for sure. it
1: has yeah I mean Th- third window and and um terracotta i mean they they've, they've been around pumping out great stuff for years and I'm, I'm glad for it. Um, well, Arrow is a much, much more recent thing. Um, they, they don't just do Asian stuff. They do some a great line in Jello. They do a great line in Nordic Noir and things like that. Um, some, some other independent... They've got, I think they've got a line of independent films. And, you know, you're right, Elwood, I should have a subscription to the arrow player frankly <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you you, you i buy know all the i tests, know so they're getting more money of you than i know made, which so. is really stupidity of me but there's lovely i mean they did a lovely donnie darko box set that i'm in love with um yeah so they're, they're, they're a really great label not but not just for asian cinema they're, they're sort of, the it's kind of films that we're into and uh, all power to mm, them definitely okay so that's Daijamin. um so if i have one kaiju movie let's have another Um, another film I only recently saw had to write, I didn't have to do anything I wrote a review for Eastern Kicks because they had a Gamera box set that's come out in the last couple of years and I had the opportunity to pick a film I picked the first film um, Gamera the Giant Monster Um, and I hadn't seen it before and I wasn't expecting it to be so bloody great Um, although made like 10 years after the original Godzilla it's still black and white um it's i think it's got a lot of notes that it's you know it's ripping off the original godzilla film i don't think that anyone could really pretend but on the other hand it's got flying saucers and a giant turtle monster that can pull in its arms and has got jet engines for some reason and it ends by them Tricking it into the nose of a, a rocket and shooting it off to space. It's um, you know, the, the original Godzilla has an element of realism to it. Is that fair enough to say? I, I, you know, we know where the sh- where it ends up, but I think I think there's a real sense of realism and ripped from the headlines almost in the original Godzilla. Camera. Yeah, I mean the original Godzilla. I mean it's sort of that the horrors of
0: uh, of nuclear warfare, so, so to speak. I mean, we obviously have, like, shots of field hospitals and, like, real collateral damage, which obviously, as the films went on, they became a little more fun. Yeah. Um, they humanised the character a bit more as people obviously resonated with this giant monster stomping on their hometown. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Gamera is obviously his own thing <laughs> altogether as well.
1: Yeah. I, I th- and I think, I think this film, because it's made, like, ten years later, it, it's got that element of... <sighs> realism and it's probably got something you know it, it's more it, the, rather than the um the horrors of atomic weapons and atomic tests it's looking at this sort of that uh, it's it's inspired initially by that sort of wave of ufo sightings that happened at the time across the world um it's hard to hard to believe that mm. that um sort of mid-1960s ufo mania is still going now in some ways, but I think it was really taking over the world then. So it takes that, puts it into a kaiju movie. There is some serious, there's some disasters. Tokyo takes a beating, but it's got this just wacky side. Now, the Gamera movies, I think, certainly this sort of first era of them, I think it's diminishing returns, but <laughs> I, I do I do believe that this is. I mean, you you've, you've got another one on the list from from last time in this era. But I think this is this is just a really great solid movie, and I'd yeah. have no you know no shame in introducing it to someone, even though there's some nonsense stuff. It was a toss up between this and Gamera Garden of the Universe which is the first in the Heisei trilogy, which I also love. Um, yeah. But I couldn't have two camera films and three in, in this. So I've, I've gone for this because it was just such a, it was such a surprise that it was so good. If that's not dabbing something with faint praise. <laughs> okay, next up. Okay. Right. So finally, not a Japanese movie. Um, this is a Taiwanese movie. So just to sort of put some context, I've caught this film a couple of times at um, the recent um Taiwan film festival, Edinburgh. Um, but also, I'd seen it at Imperial College London at some Sunday morning showing of Taiwanese films that I went to once back in the day when just jumping onto London and sitting in the in a cold lecture hall while someone plays you something on a on a on a on a, on a DVD player um, was was just the sort of thing I did. Um, anyway, it's called the Best Secret Agent, and it's interesting for all kinds of reasons. Firstly, it's a film from the ninth. A Taiwanese from the nineteen sixties. It's a, it's a, it's a remake of an old Chinese film. Um, it's really kind of important because it's actually in Taiwanese and there's very few Taiwanese language films. It's a bit like um in Hong Kong, you know, Cantonese language was the second language that was used. Everything everything's for Mandarin for the mainland, for the diaspora around the world in Malaysia and the like. You know, they they usually speak in Mandarin. So this has a really important um it's it's making a little point for the um Taiwanese film industry. Um we're not gonna go and get in the politics of Taiwan. I know it's it's a top subject at the moment in the world, but basically this film it's set basically as a young girl um called uh Soy Ying who during the, the 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 Japanese occupation after the Sino Japanese War in nineteen late nineteen thirties, which would lead on to world war ii um she's escaped from her vi- well she's her village has been overrun she's trying to get into taipei um as a refugee her father's killed by a japanese airstrike um she falls in love with this guy ling young um but she's courted by the resistance and basically ends up marrying this sort of chief Japanese, uh, chief Taiwanese collaborator with the Japanese forces, um, and basically sort of has to not marry not with with this this person she clearly is deeply in love with. We flip forward a few years; she's this femme fatale in these tight fitting um, Chinese dresses with a cigarette on the end of a cigarette holder. You, you you know the type, right? Um, and it's set in, so, so in in the mansion that her husband owns, where he's sort of running the town for, on behalf of the Japanese. Her lover appears. Um, he's come to visit him. He then starts dating the man that she's married's daughter. She, she's, she's, she's the stepmother of this child. Um, and it all gets a bit weird, Nicky, romantic. But at the same time, the resistance are fighting back and, and there's the there's story of this secret agent, this, this heaven's agent number one who's organising the resistance against the Japanese and, 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 and the guy that's the husband and the local police officer, they're desperate to find out who is, who, is the, who is the head of the resistance. Now, even though I've skirted around it, if you don't guess who the head of the fucking resistance is, you're an idiot, even from my description. And it turns out just about everybody... Is a member of the resistance. But anyway, it's just a really a really fun film. But it's historically really important because it's been found and it's been restored. Um it's in the Taiwanese language. Um it's also obviously kind of got a cult following now, and the fact it's got this anti-Japanese thing going on is is quite important to Taiwanese people. So yeah. I don't think you can get it on DVD or anything, but it's about. And if you ever go to a film festival or um, get the opportunity to see it, I really would recommend it. I'm pretty certain you haven't seen it, mate.
0: No, but um, I recognise the name Bei Hong because the only other thing I remember being in was uh, Dream with Red Mansions. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and looking on that box it was just these two films that she did yeah. which is really surprising when you have a, a leading lady especially in Asian cinema, because normally they like to pump out quite a few films so to only do two um is quite uh, quite rare though her leading man in it also did a bunch of films with Jackie Chan um including miracles yes. and uh, island of fire
1: yeah so you know it's got it's got people in it that um would later on you know, they're, they're not unfamiliar faces. If you've watched sort of 60s Hong Kong and Taiwanese films of this time, you'll, you'll recognise them. It's got a great cast. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's it's just, a, the other thing is, the first few minutes haven't been restored terribly well. And, they, and it looks like you're watching some kind of fuzzy vision thing. But actually, the main guts of the film have been restored beautifully, but... Yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, when I, you know, I, like I said, I saw it about five or six years ago, and then I saw it again very recently, and enjoyed it just as much both times. And I'm always keen to bring Taiwanese cinema to the masses. Um, and this is something which isn't um, New Wave. So even you might like it, mate. Okay, so next one, another Stephen Chow film. I know you picked Love on Delivery, and this, I've already picked Shaolin Soccer and... Bom bom I want to say King of Comedy. Yep, that's right. Which is my favourite. Um, this time, Beijing with Love. Some people call it, you know, it's advertised as a as a James Bond spoof. Not, you know, there's a clever joke about 007. But yes, it, I guess it's a spy film, but it's a Stephen Chow film in that kind of <sighs> just 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 before. Well, it's just before King of Comedy, where his 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 filmmaking changed quite a lot um it's got an un in it um it's just really funny and i would say uh, and, and yeah yes, yes it's got things like um it's got someone who replicates jaws from not the shark the uh, bond villain from moonraker and, and the one before it um it's just if i was to Show a total stranger a Stephen Chow film um, that wasn't reliant on you knowing who he was, what he was, and being able to get all those Cantonese jokes. I th- I always wonder if if I would give them from Beijing with Love as opposed to um, maybe Shaolin Soccer or um, what's the other one? After Shaolin Soccer, can't remember its name. The 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 Shaw Brothers sort of kung fu hustle yeah I, I mean you probably you know you could probably show people kung fu hustle but i think there's a lot of martial arts knowledge you need to give someone to martial arts film knowledge that to really get the most out of that whereas this is i mean everyone's in a james bond film um it's just bloody funny it's got some you know need to you gorgeous um it's just it's just it's just a, rollicking good time, and it's my it's my Stephen go-to Stephen Chow film. Like I say, for 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 those those of us that just need need to get started in it, have you seen From Beijing with Love?
0: I haven't. I mean, there's a of gaps when it comes to the Stephen Chow movies. I think, as we said before on the Shaolin Soccer episode, I think it was the fact that Shaolin Soccer comes out, it's a big hit. Um, Kung Fu Hustle comes out, also a big hit. And then we thought, oh wow, the mermaid's coming out. Can't wait to see yeah. that. Nothing happens, <laughs> and it's like it sort of ended suddenly, abruptly for us. Um, our sort of like great love for Stephen Chow, and then he sort of just pretty much disappeared, aspect um, off the distribution scene, especially. And then we had like random bits and pieces of his filmography of like come over, such as Love and Delivery and um, uh, Got a Cookery. So I'm seen bits and pieces, and he's one of those people that I constantly say, oh, I'm going to watch more Stephen Chow, and then just never get around to watching it, so going forward I think we're going to we're gonna work in some more Stephen Chow uh, in the next 25 episodes, just to cross off some of these, because there are a lot of key titles there that I just really want to see some like... Um, Spin-offs and stuff, you know, like uh, the uh, got a got a gambler oh, spin-off oh, that he oh, did. For the so. money, I
1: think it's called, or something like that. Or, or something, something that. Yeah, there's kind yeah. of three phases of Stephen Chow. There's Stephen Chow, the starting out film star who's appearing in guest starring or or, or sort of Wong Jing movies and <laughs> things like that. And then there's this. This is from this middle era where he's a superstar. He's a superstar in Hong Kong and everything he puts out. Yeah, you know, does does gangbusters. And then there's the Shaolin Soccer, Kung Fu Hustle um Stephen chow cj7 Stephen chow who who's a global superstar but you know we won't talk too much about him because we've done two episodes i think at least on Stephen chow but yeah this is definitely one i'd you know i'd love to love to show you and it's it's one of my favorites clearly okay next up is a film i literally only saw about a month and a half ago um another one that i was i reviewed for Um, Another one that I'm just so glad we live where we do, because although this film was released back in the 60s in in the USA, I don't think it's ever been on a home release or anything like that before uh, outside of Japan. Um, It's called The The Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch, and it's a 1968, I'll call it a horror film, Um, because that's the kind of genre it's going for, directed by Noriaki Yuaza. Um, It's based kind of, sort of, on some stories by a famous um, Japanese author called Kazuo Umuzu. Um, It's kind of two stories in one that that there's no separation, it's the same story, but it's based on two stories. Um, Young Girl, comes uh is basically at the opening of the film young girl is picked up at the orphanage by her birth parents um uh, for reasons that are plot driven and important later on but basically for some there is a reason she's been raised in an orphanage um basically basically children swapped at birth kind of thing they found her so they bring her home the dad says by the way I'm off. I'm going to go because he's a, he's an expert in snake venom or something like that. So he's going off to South America. And she's left at home with her mother, who, her birth mother, who apparently had an accident a few weeks ago and is losing it a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's a creepy housekeeper. And there's noises in the attic. And the noise in the attic appears to be her sister that she didn't know she had, who who may or may not have a skin condition which makes her look like a snake and with snake skin and she's got a real affinity with snakes and the young girl begins to wonder sorry her name is begins to wonder if her sister is actually some kind of half human half snake creature and whether she is or she isn't she's an absolute cowbag bitch who bullies her sister bullies her mother um Things all kind of start explaining themselves. And then this silver witch creature starts haunting um, the Sayuri. And, you know, not only has she got a sister who might be half a snake, she's got this, this, this evil demoness silverhead witch character after her as well. It all ties together in the end and everything gets explained and it's got holes in the story that you could drive through. Especially around the whole, you know, if, if certain characters just said everything they knew when asked, a lot of this drama wouldn't have happened. However, um, it's like, if you like House, or house you'll love this film. It's not quite as crazy, although it's got some fantastical moments in it, um, mostly in um, Sayori's dream sequences. Um, but it's just, again, it's just one of these films I'd never have seen. And I I don't know who it is that Arrow has has found the key to the Dai Studios film vault, but well done for bringing this one out. Um, I'm sure this has been on the Arrow player as well. Um, (laughs) and I (laughs) I,
0: they always love to put something the thing you can pretty much guarantee when it comes to like the releases is like why you may not get like the thing or Southland Tales if it's an asian cinema title you're pretty much guaranteed to get it and especially if we're in the uk because when it comes to releases we seem to get screwed over when it comes to like all the classic slashes like chopping Mall and zombie 2 and whatnot and as soon as you see like an asian title on them um like the darjaman collection for example you pretty much guarantee the uk are going to get it so i'm very happy with that respect and certainly with Things like this, where you know you may watch it once sort of curiosity, I think that again it comes into
1: uh, its own. So, um, yeah, another advantage I, please. <laughs> <with us. laughs> I will. I will say just just. Sort of, I think I mentioned this when I talked about watching it in the main show, but what it actually for me feels like. So there is some debate whether this is a kids film or not. It's not. Certainly not a kid, as in a five year old however um back you know it reminds me of misty comics misty was a as a british um comic from the 70s and 80s basically created by the creators of 2000 ad and they basically wanted to do a horror comic but for girls and we did a lot of this in british comics there was a, there's a whole a whole range of there's Ginty as another one which was a sci-fi comic for girls can you imagine such a crazy thing <laughs> um but that we we had boys comics and girls comics but it was interesting that genres were mixed up. This feels like a story from Misty. So if you're of my age and you had a sister or you just like this kind of thing, you'll get where I'm coming from. This is kind of horror movie that would appeal to sort of 11 to 18-year-old girls I think, but there's way more going on than that. Anyway, that's a, that's a really weird connection. Oh look! What's next? Another Japanese film. <laughs> yeah, I haven't ordered these very well. Um, Tampopo, um, by Juzo Itami, um, is uh, the ramen western? I think they call it. Basically, it's a story of some truck drivers that go to this this ramen shop, and it's run by a lady called Tampopo which is Japanese for dandelion and one of the uh, one of the one of the drivers Goro sort of says your, your ramen's good but it could be better um and basically teaches her how to make it and there's a whole kind of story around the ramen and the people that Goro brings him um to help her make the best ramen ever. Um, at the same time, there's a whole bunch of little subplots and tiny little spin-off stories, which are all related around food. It's you know, it's, it's not quite food porn, but it's getting there. It's it's just this really fun movie, really well made. Um, you know, if, if you need someone, it's got Ken Watanabe in it. So you know, everyone knows Ken, don't they? And everyone loves Ken. But yes,
0: it's. You make it sound like he's like like the
1: next door neighbor. So like you know, I Ken. do, but you know what I mean. If there's one Japanese actor, everybody knows it's Ken Watanabe, right?
0: <laughs> I was just trying to think of another example, and all the other ones I know are all about the Hong Kong system. Yeah, so, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I
1: mean, and he's still going now. He's, it was an Inception for God's sake. Um, anyway, yeah, no, Tampopo is just this fantastic, fun, frothy movie. Um, doesn't I mean it is very japanese but the same way it feels like it's a film that could come out from france as well do you know what i mean there's these there's those mm. those kind of 80s 90s bright and breezy comedies but there's a fun interesting central story but there's all these other little hilarious ones as well um uh that are yeah some work better than others but um I, I really loved it again a sort of film it's a film i'd heard of but i've only seen in the last couple of years um another one where i wrote a review for it which i guess when you write a review for something i think you get more emotionally attached to a film if you like it as well so but yeah i mean it's 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 a famous film it's it's now very much lauded and the like mid 80s um if you can find it i don't think this one's an arrow player job but
0: no, it's on the Criterion Collection. Ah, there we though, go. And you can find it on FilmBox, which is one of the um, channels you can subscribe to through your Amazon Prime. So um, I don't know what else is on FilmBox, <laughs> but you can watch this and then yeah. cancel your seven-day trial. I'll just look
1: at the Wikipedia page that they, they they compare it to a Jacques Tati film, which I think what I was trying. To, oh, is what I was trying to get at. I think in my in my like playtime. Yeah, in my random mumbling mumblings earlier. So yes. Tampopo fantastic please watch I will definitely be bringing it to the show right next is a Thai film <laughs> not Japanese um although this is this is this is the ultimate um art house film I'm sorry mate um this is a Thai film called Mary is happy Mary is happy directed by and if you think I can mess up Japanese names, here goes with Thai. It's Nawapol Thamrongratanarit, and I'm even more ashamed because I've met the guy and interviewed him, and I still can't <laughs> say his name. Um, it's this. Yeah, I mean, I'll call him Nawapol. I'm sure he won't mind. He won't be hearing this. Although he's a Facebook friend, so who knows? Um, is he, he's a really interesting thai director that isn't coming from the slow cinema that that many other modern thai directors are coming from he's 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 got a completely different view i mean i'm going to call him in this case he's like the social media thai person i mean his previous film 36 was based on 36 photographs this is based on basically he took 410 tweets from this random schoolgirl that she'd done over a year and then he creates this story about it using those tweets as as drivers for each scene um it's a bit weird um it doesn't always make a lot of narrative sense but it's not really meant to it's meant to be the story of this girl and 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 growing up you know a schoolgirl growing up and you have these kind of strange thoughts i mean there's a weird thing her best friend halfway through the film is murdered and like where did that come from and things <laughs> it's just weird it's, it's what do they call it they call it coming of age drama black comedy i think that pretty much sums it up um Pumpria is the lead actress she's she's been in a few things as well if you get a chance to find mary is happy mary is happy i really really recommend it but it's mm. um it's it's kind of yeah it's just it's, it's just an unusual film and when I saw it I fell in love with it and I eventually got it on DVD I got it on DVD with a with a free um, Thai school t-shirt as well but it doesn't fit me it certainly doesn't fit me anymore um, but yeah nowpol is is a really interesting film director who's done a few other things as well but this one this is a film I've literally fallen in love with and I know that I, I won't know anybody else who's seen it <laughs> Um, well it is a verb on Mumbai brilliant
0: Um, I just want to read uh, a couple of the tweets really that uh, you know inspired this uh, film Um, from a health education book I read that a hug was a kind of exercise I'm old since birth that's it and my personal favourite wanna steal cake this is what he's used to build his (laughs) film from he has
1: I mean bless him the the original Mary this girl he took the um the tweets from Mary
0: Lonnie Mary that?
1: Lonnie that's the, that's the, that's her name you oh, know she got to get to the, go to the film premiere and everything you know it was just it was just ran it just, just just a really cool random arty idea um and it makes way more sense when you watch it um but that's yeah some of those tweets are really mundane but like she is like a 14 year old girl or something um and it's early days of twitter you know it's back it's back when you only had 120 characters you know <laughs> and 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 she doesn't use hashtags or anything like that it's really just it's a diary of her thoughts um yeah if you if you can find it please please find it next hong kong and one of my favorite modern hong kong directors pang ho chung sometimes known as edmund ho chung um i'm certain in the early shows we talked about love and a puff and its sequels yep. um this i was a bit surprised i hadn't bought this one before as well i'm quick waiting for you to tell me actually Stephen, you've um you've already got this one on the list but could quadruple checked so this is a sort of black comedy drama um starring one of the twins Do you remember the twins effect twins so this is Gillian yeah. Chung, the one who can't act, <laughs> but he manages to draw this fantastic performance out of her, which has this unfortunate life imitating art thing. Um, basically, in, in many ways, um, it's got your mate Daniel Wu in it. Oh, I think you're, uh, you're you're aware of Mr. Wu from his, uh, certainly if nothing else, from his uh, Western TV show, which I can't remember what it's called, but he's. Into the Badlands? Yeah. So, I mean, he, yeah. he does speak perfectly. I think he's American. I think he might be half American. Anyway, basically, um, it's the story of uh, Daniel Wu. He goes out with this girl called Ching, who's played by Gillian Chung. He dumps her, and then she, in a, in a fit of revenge, tracks down his new girlfriend and tells her that Daniel Wu's character uploaded Nude nude to the internet. So it's kind of a revenge thing where she's using this, basically trying to poison the girlfriend against her her, her, her ex-boyfriend. Ironically, Jillian got caught up in her very own photo-uploading scandal. (laughs) year or two later which we've talked about multiple times i know um it's just a really it was it was the first um edmund well sorry the first edmund pang film i saw was um love and a puff and you start going exploring around for other films he's done and i love this film and it's like one of these um I don't know. It's it's like one of these films. He's a really well thought of director, and everyone talks about his later films. Everyone talks about his Love in the Puff series. Everyone even talks about some of the earlier stuff that he wrote. He was an author first, but no one ever talks about Beyond Dark Ken, and it's just a fantastic little dark drama, which obviously has, um, yeah, has 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 some future stuff going on that no one no one making it would have known, but yeah, love it um again not really sure how easy it is to catch these days it's going to be one of those one of those films like um the pang brothers diary which i talked about in the first the first 50 which i I don't even know if anyone outside of hong kong can get hold of these films but i've got a copy of it come borrow mine okay (laughs) what next ah so you made a joke elwood before we started recording um ...that you were just going to pick five Whispering Corridors
0: movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It was... It uh, saves your little fingers so like... There we go. Five right off the bat.
1: So, for some reason, we haven't ever really spoken about... ...the Whispering Corridors movies so much. Um, <laughs> they are a series of movies from South Korea. Horror movies. That came out along the whole J-Horror, K-Horror timeline... Um, they all what they have in common is that they all have some kind of schoolgirl Korean schoolgirl protagonist or protagonists most of them are set in all girls schools Um, the the first one is a very classic um, Korean horror with ghostly schoolgirls and the like the second one is this art house piece of madness genius that there are multiple cuts of but it it's it's far too it's far too art house for its own good really um but people love it. it's called memento mori and then three four well three and five are more traditional sort of you know school girls ghosts there's bullying there's suicides there's uh i think number four uh three is wishing stairs or four, yeah three is wishing stairs. five is a blood pledge isn't it you know one one girl gets bullied in one of them for being too fat and and basically makes a wish to to get revenge on the people that bullied her there's this let's get it there's loads of them and another one seems to have come out recently it's number apparently number six in the series i haven't watched it yet but it's going to be my watch it's going to be my halloween film um i know i don't know when this is coming out halloween will have passed but it'll be the film i watch for halloween i'll bring it to the show however my absolute favourite is Voice, which is um, Whispering Corridors Four. Um, it's very different in the um, as compared to the other films. Um, it's a for example, it's a co-ed school that it's in, and um, there's it also stars Kim Ok Bin who would also appear in a later choice today, but she was in Thirst, I think, as well. I think we've had her in in the show before. It was her first, I think it was her first role. Um, and I don't really want to talk about it too much because I'll spoil it, but I always feel like it's the red-headed stepchild of the, of the Whispering Corridor series because it, it is so different in what it... In, in where quite how it's set in how that the schoolgirl protagonist is a little bit different if you've watched a lot of korean ghost stories you'll probably guess the twist um but it's it's yeah i mean definitely the makers of it all sort the of sixth sense but anyway kim ok-bin is fantastic in it she's a fantastic actress and she's sort of kind of reinventing herself daily, as far as I can tell. Um, All the Whispering Corridor films are worth watching. All of them, any one of them, could have fit in here. Any one of them I could have picked, but I always feel like I'm the lone voice for voice. (laughs) If that makes sense. Um, Although I do know that James over at Eastern Kicks, James Mudge is a big fan of it, which was the biggest shock I ever had, because I thought he'd say, that's a load of rubbish. But no, really good. And if you can pick it up, Tartan did do a box set of the first four quite hard to track down yes. but it is in there um lots of other color but you you will find most other whispering corridors devotees maybe don't don't give this one the credit it deserves
0: it's weird it was never really picked up like many of the All other titles on the tartan nature extreme label i mean and i say that and obviously uh, jesse over at the asian cinema takeout facebook group keeps posting like these titles that I never knew were part of the Asian Extreme la- label, like Cello.
1: Oh yeah, um, I think was yeah.
0: one, um, which must have obviously come at the and end. And the wig. Of the month, so I remember like, that
1: would be another one in that kind of realm. Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember like the early stuff, obviously, because I think it was around Freezer um, ah. and Princess Blade that I stopped like buying everything <laughs> that was coming out. I think Princess Blade was responsible for that because I remember the write-up on the inside was like. Like really determined to sell this movie that you have already bought already, mm. and it's like no, this is not the movie you're writing about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Princess Blade which you revisit that. One yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's said. another
1: great movie which I didn't realise had come out on Tartan. Um, Freezer, funny you should mention that. That was like one of the first Japanese films I imported. Um, you know, real real in the J horror world and mm. uh, a bit exploitative, I think. Quite a few bosoms in that film, but it was
0: they were sort of around the same time they were bringing over like to Snake of mm. June, and they were going a little sleazy with the the titles because you had that and Tetsuo Two Body Hammer, and it was sort of like they brought over Freeza, and It's all sort of like, well, those two things go together.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I don't think it really belonged. Uh, as far as it's you know it's 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 more it's interesting actually. It's more it's, it's like a a sort of home invasion stroke revenge thriller um yeah very yeah, much yeah. more western anyway we, we're not here to talk about freezer although one day <laughs> we might but yes voice please if you can it's well worth it um and and like, like and, and like I said I did manage it's called gum high school quartet or something like that it's a weird doesn't even have whispering corridors in the name in the tartan release but it's well worth um hunting down if you can and i'm sure i'm sure that all somewhere especially if there's a sick film come out i'm sure they will all get a, a showing they're all worth it all in different ways right next taiwan again Siming liang a director who we have had on the show with goodbye dragon in haven't we um this one, <laughs> yeah, The Wayward Cloud, um, also known as the one that opens with a man fucking a watermelon. Um, yeah, basically, there's a drought in Taiwan, and the government says you should drink watermelon juice instead of water. And there's this fella, Tsai Kang, Sao Kang, sorry, um, played by Tsai uh, Ming liang sort of long-term male muse li kang sheng meets another lady uh, chen Shangxi, um who again who is in goodbye dragon basically the two actors that he uses in all his films and it's a slight crossover maybe with the previous film as well um it's just yeah there's porn in it and there's It's weirdly art house and there's like entire scenes watching some poor woman limp her way through an underground tunnel with a shopping bag. And there's, yeah, there's an oral sex ending. I'm making it sound like it's like some kind of amazing sex comedy, aren't I? It's not.
0: (laughs) It's just that opening line you just uh, gave me. All I can hear in my head is the... um... The one time at band camp, I fucked a watermelon. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's... I, I really wanted to bring a timing Liang film to this 25. I thought I'd do Goodbye Dragon Inn, because obviously we did it on the show. I think we both enjoyed it, didn't we? I mean, I think I enjoyed it slightly more than you, but... <laughs>
0: it's an interesting film i mean obviously it's a little like my normal wheelhouse and it's not something that i would particularly return to again but certainly the experience i enjoyed it. and i think it like most well, like dogtooth i think talking having this platform obviously to talk about it afterwards or just any sort of platform i mean if you watched it and then went for like coffee and some nice pie i think it would also provide the same sort of effect and it's a sort of movie that deserves to be discussed after you watch it, because there's no sort of dialogue in that movie, and it's really kind of fascinating um, in places, just for the little subtle details, so yeah, that was a big surprise to me, how uh, much I enjoyed that one. Certainly. So, so,
1: so, so Ming-Lang films often don't have a lot of dialogue. Goodbye Dragon Inn is an absolute extreme in that, with its eight lines. <laughs> um, the, 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 this doesn't have a lot. Um, it's like i say it's 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 a semi sequel to what time is it there um, they're both set in a different town they're not set in taipei they're set in Ka- um god kaosien i think it's pronounced um, and it's you know it it makes use of the city it makes use of landmarks and and parks and things like that um i've got to say it's got chen xiangqi in it who obviously is my all-time crush Really lucky once again, this is Stephen name dropping. I was really lucky once to interview her um, and fell absolutely in love with her. Then she was amazing, even though apparently she's usually a bit of a cowbag because she's not really into interviews and stuff like that. Um, but it's because it's got this sort of kind of a freaky premise as a, another way into um, the films of uh, Tsai. Who isn't actually Taiwanese. He's actually Malaysian. But he made all his films in Thailand. Um, You know. You can't go much past someone screwing a watermelon. Can you? For something to remember. And I literally have. I've had a conversation with somebody on the Twitter. Where. I said. Someone said. Is that the film with somebody fucking a watermelon? And they were asking me about it. So. It sticks in the memory mate. I do suggest you don't do that because other things will get incredibly sticky, I'm pretty sure.
0: I love the fact you're advocating our listeners not to fuck watermelons. It's sort of like, <laughs> what, what sort of crowd do you think we attacked? I mean, I say that because Mobius is obviously one of our highest rated episodes of all time, which is a film about frotting yeah.
1: and penis amputation. But You do know. know how close it was to bringing Mobius to this list? i have no surprise but it, it isn't but wayward cloud maybe takes its place
0: <laughs> i love to bring mobius to like when we have people like on the internet it was sort of like oh yeah, send me something extreme <laughs> i've seen Nakudamer like 17 times and i like a serbian movie and i say to them watch mobius and then they don't ever respond to us but we normally get like a bunch of people on their feed that go oh yeah i've seen mobius <laughs> they they send you like a a bunch of winking emojis and stuff it's like oh great yeah uh, we're now friends with those people
1: so so wayward cloud isn't extreme like mobius don't get me wrong but it's got some interesting subject matter you know porn stars and what they do in their downtime and there's a sweet sort of semi-love story and yeah i i really i love wayward cloud otherwise i wouldn't have bought it on the list but um yeah, mm. we were lucky. So I
0: get... Yeah, I mean, we included like Legend of the Overfiend in this fifty, and again, that's uh, another kind of perversity. But it, I felt that it had the merit to be on there, and obviously, you're now bringing Wayward Cloud yeah.
1: with its um, own perversity. Yeah, it's so slightly so... different. But yeah, just sort of things that it's, it's just it's just oh, a yeah. really different, interesting <laughs> movie, and I'd recommend Simon Leng's movies to anybody anyway. So. That was Taiwan. Right. Okay. I'm going to go for a, a couple of classics now in a row. Um, both. No, no. One one from Hong Kong, one from Japan. Um, the classic from Hong Kong is 1967's One-Armed Swordsman. Very good. Um, I know, right? And Wang I know. And, uh, this, is, this is one that I'd expected you maybe to have bought. Um, Chang Che directed... Um, uh, made a superstar of Jimmy Wang um, linking it back to Dragon or Wuxia back from our first episode where he reprises his role in, from this film in that um, yeah it's it's got a quite a simple story there's a bunch of bunch of uh, people in a in a uh, the golden sword school sort of martial arts school get attacked um the servant sacrifices his life to save the master um dying wish will you look after and train my son uh the son sort of he's good he's good at the learning but doesn't mix well with the students um he ends up for for, for, for ridiculous reason one of the female students who fancies him chops off his arm. Um, that's not because because he didn't fancy her. Yeah, because that's the thing. Anyway, he goes off. He goes off and then falls in love with another with another woman. Um, eschews... although he learns how to use his other arm in swordplay, he eschews the that 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 life. Um, but then he hears about the school is about to get attacked again, and he um basically comes back and wreaks havoc in um on the people attacking is it that long-armed devil isn't it something something like that attack him anyway i really love this film it's a really great it is undoubtedly one of the great shaw brothers films however what i hadn't realized was this was the film that really put the shaw brothers on the martial arts map they've been going for years in in all kinds of different genres, but this is is pretty much deemed to be sort of this the the film which made martial arts films mega box office and also you know it, it became well known around the world, didn't it? So yeah, I'm I know you've seen One Armed Swordsman. There's, there's there's no point saying not.
0: <laughs> I have um for myself I prefer the sequel mm-hmm. and I think also uh Jimmy Wang Yu's uh, one-arm boxer is, is a it's a more sort of cool flick it goes a little more bonkers it leans more into sort of like the kung fu weird like you know the battle wizard um and much like master of the flying guillotine it sort of wheels out the weird and wonderful fighters card uh, but no, I mean, one I'm sort of is, is unquestionably a classic I mean, you can put it up there with the likes of Six, Chambers of Shaolin um, 8 Diagram Pole Fighter That sort of level for like the Shaw Brothers It's definitely up there And I mean, Jimmy Wang Yu is unquestionably like a Huge icon um, Not only within Hong Kong cinema, but Kung Fu cinema Especially, and he would obviously Go over to Australia and make the only Kung Fu movie, The Man from Hong Kong Which I would also recommend, but um um yeah it's one definitely worth checking it's really random the circumstance he does lose the arm and he goes he does that classic thing it was like i can't fight anymore i'm gonna go off and be a farmer
1: yeah but it kind of the the point is it kind of invented a whole bunch of stuff which loads of other films use i I know what you're saying it's not really a kung fu weird other than no
0: no no this is definitely a very sort of traditional kung fu movie obviously the the twist, obviously, being that he's a one-armed swordsman. <laughs> yeah. um, and there are other films within, have been, as they call it, the Crippled Avengers saga. Um, as I said, you've got, like, Crippled Avengers, as we said, with its uh, own saga name there. And you had various people, like, losing various limbs or not having limbs to begin with. And they, they, I think it's, as I say, it's Crippled Avengers where you have the guy with no arms who teams up... Um, with the guy with no legs, and together they form like the ultimate fighting force because they strap one to the other. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I think Jimmy Wang, Wang Yu is always an interesting person to watch when it comes to kung fu cinema, even though he hasn't got perhaps the instant name recognition of like Sam Hung, Jackie Chan, Ooh. Bruce Lee to like people not really sort of into Asian cinema, but um,
1: definitely got a huge body of work. Definitely worth checking out. Absolutely, and make again makes his second second um, appearance on the list. Right, the next one I had so spoilers to everybody. I had to check with Elwood today that he hadn't missed on our letterbox list because I'm absolutely shocked that neither of us have picked this film before. I'm absolutely shocked it's not in our original top five. Um, and it's um, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Which was also the star of our fiftieth episode again. <laughs> what? What do we like? Um, it's you know I don't really need to talk about Seven Samurai. It's like one of these classics of cinema. I think we both agreed with that in in when we talked about it on episode fifty. Mm. It's in, it still inspires films today. You know, not just the Magnificent Seven and Battle Beyond the Stars, but you know the the idea of the seven, seven sort of characters to brought together or group of characters brought disparate group of characters brought together to protect a town, to protect something is, you know, it's in comic books and films and TV shows all the time. Um, you know, we, we could talk about the amazing shots and the filmmaking. We could talk about the great characters. We could talk about the story. We could talk about the way it ends on a bit of a downer. Um, But it's it's a classic for a reason. Again, there could be a lot of Akira Kurosawa films we could bring. We could. I could. I think I'd have put Rash. No, I don't think I've done Rashomon either. But this is, yeah, to me, this is this is as good as samurai movies get. Japanese. This is as good as Japanese martial arts movies get. How about you?
0: I mean, yes. I mean, Seven Samurai is obviously good. I think when it comes to Kurosawa's work, I put Yojimbo mm. above Seven Samurai, and I think it's just more due to the pacing of it and also the length. Because um, Seven Samurai, in its you know, it's now cut, um, is is a weighty slice of uh, samurai drama. Um, and I, th- as I said, I mean, you, Kurosawa unquestionably is a very good director, and I think probably be like most like Spielberg that and Kubrick, the fact that when a director reaches that Sort of godlike status where they're they're instantly recognizable for their talent. You don't tend to think of them when you compile the list because you rather highlight directors who are going to get overlooked. And I think certainly when it came to Kurosawa, I think that's the reason he doesn't tend to appear much on my own list, even though I would think that Ujimbo would be one of those movies I'll go to, Keijimushi being another as well. And if we would just like talk about his body work in general, I mean, even like his script for Runaway Train is phenomenal, uh, based on Henry the. I want to say, um, but yeah. yeah, Kurosawa definitely uh, an unquestionably talent, but just for whatever reason, Seven Samurai is uh, took us till now to add it on.
1: You know, he's not just about period films. He, he does. He, he's he's done some pretty amazing work outside of that. Anyway, that's That that Seven Samurai. That's a. I just don't know. I just feel that's a wrong that we have I've now righted, and I just don't understand what was going through our heads. Right, next film is a film I know you don't think much of, or I think you think it's been done before and there's millions of examples. Um, Okay. But I love it and was absolutely blown away by it when I first saw it, Um, certainly the opening scene. It's Kim Okbin bin again, or Kim Okbin as she appears now to be called, but definitely Kim Ok-Bin, who is the lead character in The Villainess, which is unashamedly... Inspired by Lefemme Nikita, <laughs> and the directors basically said he wanted to make a Korean version of that. Um So, uh, it, that. you know, it's it's a story. There's a woman. She's trained to be an assassin, and there's a you know she she's done her job. She's had a family, and now it's all come back. I mean, this is this is a common story, not just Lefemme Nikita, but the recent film with um Bob Odenkirk was the same bloody story as well, um, you know, where he's, he was the accountant. <laughs> anyway, but what makes this film stand out? I mean, it's, it's a darn good Korean action film. You know, we've seen Man from Nowhere and things like that. It's really interesting to have a woman. But the opening scene is done from a first-person perspective. It's like being in a video game. And unfortunately, you know, it's pretty bloody clear it's a woman. However because she's on the cover up she's on the poster she's on the cover of the dvd and you know, all these things but when you when, when we first saw it it was all released um i think on youtube they just released the um the opening five or six minutes and it's just a remarkable piece of filmmaking and then you suddenly see a glimpse of her in a mirror and you're oh shit this this badass dude is actually a badass lass and um i guess i've got a soft spot for um for badass women in these in films when you think I did Lady Snowblood and you and anything with Michael Keiji Mikey you know, with I can't say her name Miku Keiji. Whatever, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. Kiji. Um but this this is really good because 'cause don't actually often get many kickass women in Korean films either, certainly not in action films. There's, there's, there's one or two. So, I adored this film, but I do remember when you said you saw it, you just thought, meh, I've seen films like this before, which is fair enough. That I've put words in your mouth, and now you're going to tell me I'm wrong.
0: It's... I mean, the villainess is, is very good. I think, yes, we, we all got very excited when we saw the motorcycle chase with the samurai saws. I think that was all very exciting. I think the problem is that it came up very close to like the raid, and we were... Sort of very, it, this was like trying to set itself as being on the same level, and when you look at a lot of the shots, it's it's very sort of close up rather than far away, which is obviously a sign <coughs> of your actors you're working with aren't trained um, to the level that you sort of need to. Because the general rule being that the further away you sh- can shoot your your action, the more experienced and more trained your fighters are. So when we see like you know in the Hong Kong. Uh, Sorry, when we see in the Hollywood movies where you've got like the flavour of the week uh, doing the action role, it's normally really close up. And we see it especially like in the Bourne movies because it covers for the limitations. And obviously when you look at the John Wick movies where Keanu Reeves put in hours and hours and hours with the stuntmen, it's very far away. We get the lovely wide shots because they obviously have that confidence in him being able to sell the action. And I think that was... With the villainess, it became very sort of clear with just like how close up and on top of the action the camera was. But at the same time, I mean, as you said, we have like the PLV sequence, we have the whole training sequence as mm-hmm. well. Um, there's many bits and things to enjoy about it, and especially the bus sequence is also pretty fun as well. So I think since we had that conversation, I've softened to it slightly. Okay. Um, Good. So, but yeah, I would say it deserves a place to
1: listen. Yeah, I, I, just, I just think korean you know obviously I, I haven't bought many korean films this time but so sort of korean cinema is is where i started and films like this and the wailing just got korean cinema out of a bit of a rut where i think they were just trying to do the same shit over and over again not sure it's changed but hey ho right next up i don't know should we have another japanese film I'll tell you what, shall we have another Yeziho Masamura film as well? So, this isn't Blind Beast. This is Black Test Car. Another film I only came across very recently. Another film, like Giants and Toys, which is set in the world of business. Um, This time, it's two car companies that are um, basically both about to release a brand new car. And they're they're, they're, a load of industrial espionage around what price they're going to sell because obviously the one that sets the cheapest price is probably going to sell more cars um yeah it's it's yeah it's a business drama um with a lot of incredibly earnest men um trying to outdo their rivals and they they'll spy and they'll bribe and they'll do anything to 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 win this battle um even even when the release happens the uh turns turns out the the other company have done even more dastardly things um again i i just hadn't heard of this film until recently um they did uh i want to say arrow again yes it is arrow and it is on the arrow player as well um there's another there's another film in the same genre on the on the blue so you get two two for one on the on the blue way on the dvd um just bloody fantastic though i just i don't know i didn't realize this was a genre of films turns out it is um i and i i, I love these kind of period no one of sort of six sixty fifties 50s and 60s set japanese films where japan's becoming well again sort of more westernized uh but but in its own special kind of way and the sights and the sounds excite me as well but this is this is a pretty dark film actually <laughs> i don't, it's only when I'd say it out loud I realised how dark it was, but again just just something different something outside of our normal genres that I think people would would really enjoy
0: no 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 it's uh one that I've still got to see I mean there's a lot of good stuff on the airplay yeah. uh that I've yet to see I mean I've got to see like go to hell bat new bastards um and it's ironic because all the things when like Arrowplay came over to the UK I was sort of like, oh, it'd be really good to see like a visible man appears and mm. all the
1: rest of this, and then I just forget to watch it as soon as they add it on. Yeah, I mean, I've got my Mubi subscription, which I feel very similar about. <laughs> I don't want to get rid of it because once a month I will catch a film in there, but I know I should be able to spend weeks in there and actually I get full value for money out of it.
0: That's my November. I'm just gonna just be like going through the watch list, going through the watch pile. Yeah. And just, like, finally, like, paying back all <laughs> the stuff that's been handed over. So, like, people are just very nice to us. And then we repay it by just never getting around to it.
1: Right, next, Hong Kong. I was determined to bring a Johnny Toe film. What I couldn't decide was whether to bring a Johnny Toe crime thriller... Or a Johnny Toe romantic comedy. I eventually went, surprisingly, with the crime thriller. With uh, 2003's PTU. Um, now, PTU, oh, it led to a load of sequels. Is um, is isn't probably Johnny Toe's best film. Um, basically, it tells the story of a couple of police units. The PTU is the police tactical unit going around Hong Kong at night. Um, basically covering for suet Lamb's mistake where he's lost his gun he's a he's a he's a local police officer and simon yam is going around trying to recover the gun before the sun rises um and then there's another group of ptu officers who are following another crime and of course it all comes together at the end in a in a in a in a, in a, in a big shootout now the thing about ptu is that and and i Various people haven't really mentioned this in sort of. It got really uh, got a recent, I think, a Eureka release. Um, and they're all talking about Simon Yam and Johnny Toe and all the normal stuff. But this is a Johnny Toe film where, where Hong Kong um, is absolutely a character. One of those films where, where the, the place is a character in this. And it's a Hong Kong if you've ever been there that you'll never have seen. It's a Hong Kong that maybe exists for like twenty minutes at about four AM in the morning. Because there's nobody else around. It's you know, it there's the stuff going on, there's clearly stuff going on inside gambling dens and mahjong parlours and bars and things like that. But the streets are empty. And, you know, it's really unsettling to see Hong Kong like that because normally it's just busy 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 all the time 24 hours a day it feels like now actually what happened was it was made at the time of SARS and basically the city was in lockdown and which enabled Toe and his his group to um go out and 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 basically film at night in Hong Kong with empty streets which just wouldn't normally have been possible I've also read it took years to make, so those stories don't add up. But the the, you know, I I don't I don't think Johnny even Johnny Toe has got the sway to stop the um, the main streets of Moncok and so on his own. Um, so it's a really yeah, it's really interesting because it's from the view of the police. Simon Yam is pretty bloody good in it, but he's also a complete asshole in this film, um, and. Whilst it's not my favourite, it's the way that the city comes across is why I've bought it here. Have you seen PTU?
0: I have a long time ago. It's really, for whatever reason, just come back into vogue recently. And I can't explain why. Um, hmm. But no, it, it's some movie that reminds you. it's like, wow, Simon Yam's just in a real lot of movies. He was nearly
1: in a, but, um, another one on this list, but I dropped it off in the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> I was going to...
0: It it surprising me how frequently he will turn up in in things, and he's also never seems to age.
1: No, he seems to have stuck at he's... a certain age. Like he got tanned, you know, like leather. Because is. that... he got skin like leather. I imagine. I imagine that at sort of the age of forty, they literally tanned him, and he's stuck looking like that. He's also become quite an accomplished director now. So we'll we'll be seeing even more of him forevermore um in- interesting actor not 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 hong kong's greatest but certainly always solid that's the best i can do for you okay next up japan again but do you know what director i haven't mentioned yet elwood that that well that? you know the, basically the next two films come from our two favorite japanese directors takashi miike and sion sono So I have
0: seen a couple of mke movies yeah, it has to be said but I'm going to
1: pick one you haven't seen or one that you I don't think you've seen.
0: Okay, here me.
1: Okay. So this is 2013's The Mole Song Undercover Agent Reiji, which is a manga adaptation. Surprise? <laughs> Big surprise there. <laughs> um it's a kind of yakuza comedy film but it but so bloody successful at, at the comedy so so often when you know you've watched a lot of meekham movies recently but i think i think sometimes his comedy doesn't quite work um I, I don't want to be mean anyway this one it worked brilliantly basically there's this policeman and he's fired for being useless <laughs> but he is actually a good fella and basically gets employed to be a mole inside the Yakuza gang in, in, into a local Yakuza gang um, and yeah a wacky hijinks ensue he um, he joins up with um, the boss the crazy butterfly or crazy papillon I believe papillon is French butterfly and they all wear these amazing do you know that 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 classic Yakuza snakeskin jacket kind of thing? That to the nines. It just takes the piss out of everything you've ever seen in a Yakuza movie and turns it up to a nine. And it's hilarious. And of course, being undercover, no one told his girlfriend he was he was undercover and she's kind of angry at him and there's a whole thing that she says if you don't return my calls i won't let you take my virginity that that's the kind of level we're at yeah this is just so it's just nonsense comedy and it's hilarious and the lead um i think the lead is played by i want to say toma Ikuta. i think he's absolutely whoever it is. absolutely brilliant um And I just don't understand why this one hasn't made its way over. Not only this, but the sequel, um, Molesong Hong Kong Caprico, which uh, Capriccio, is um, also fantastic and just takes the story and the characters over to Hong Kong. Um, Yeah, I I I really want to put the pair of them together. It's it's a really fantastic sequel um, and also made in a time period that doesn't make it feel... Why are you, why are you making a sequel to that? You know, it's literally a couple of years later. Um, yes, it is. It's Toma Tomo Akuta. But yeah, they're both really fantastic. Um, just comedies. But, you know, any of us that have seen enough Yakuza films, we get the jokes. Yeah. I'm not quite sure if a random off the street would understand it, but, you know, we, we, we've, we've seen enough. We know the tropes and, um or I've played the games even, and yeah, it's just, compared to uh, the Miike film that tries to recreate the first Yakuza game, this is, it's night and day. These are brilliant and shiny and wonderful. I just wish we could watch them. I don't even have these on DVD, I reviewed them, so I had a screener which I no longer can see. So, yeah, really good two more
0: for you for next October. Well, if you think that Miki month is going to be like a regular <laughs> oh, no, thing? I think, it's no, like...
1: I, think you, I think you can get a couple of years out of it, right? <laughs> no, I, I know oh. you, I know I wouldn't dare put you through that.
0: I, as I said, with the Mikkei month, it was, it was certainly fun. I think also at the same time, because we did it, you know, as we said back in the Miki cats, we did it completely by, what we we're in the mood for and what was available Ooh. at the time, so there was obviously stuff we missed out, like you know, Better People in China and E-Share the Killer, as uh, people pointed out to us. So, who knows? Um, who knows how how we feel when we come down to September next year? Um, I know that you've already announced like plans to do your own. Well, maybe month. Of fun. <laughs> maybe
1: maybe, but films in schools month. Yep.
0: Um. So yeah, I mean, as as I said, it's. I, I don't want to say never, but who knows? I mean, there'd definitely be more Mike appearing on the show one way or another, so um, this could possibly be one of those titles that we look at in the
1: near future. Excellent. Okay, so I've given you some Mike. Let's give you some Sono. Um, now, we're going to do a lot of Sono soon. <laughs> but I just wanted to give a shout out to one of my favourite Sono movies. So you picked... um. Suicide Circle, which, uh, f- yep. uh, l- before the break, shall we say, not, not wanting to do in the magic of podcasting. Um, a couple of years ago, I mean, Sono has made a fair few films. Um, he's no Takashi Miike in terms of his output. But a few years ago, he basically, he, he made, um well, he did his, I forget what we're calling them the trilogy, um, the hate trilogy. And then he made a couple of films, which were um, Himizu and Land of Hope, which are more like sort of family dramas, but with, you know, it was playing on some, some stuff that was going on in Japan at the time. And then he made like five or six films in a year. He made Tokyo Tribes and UK Swan, Love and Peace, Tag, um, the one about the people with ESP, who get their power from breasts, I can't remember remember what it's called, I mean, Espada or something, and anti-porno, we've talked about anti-porno, but he also put out this thing called The Whispering Star. The Whispering Star is the most low-budget science fiction film you'll have seen. I mean, it makes episodes of Doctor Who and The Twilight Zone from the 60s look advanced tells the story of this uh robot woman who um goes on a trip on the most low fi spaceship on earth i mean it's not it's not i don't know and she's traveling and she's acting as a like a, some kind of postman it's very art housey it's all done in like beautiful sepia photography there's a whole environmental message and she eventually goes back to Earth and we see it's um it's 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 all environmental wasteland. It's all set in Fukushima, um, where obviously the, the whole place was ruined by the nuclear accident. Um it's just an utter treat in such a lo fi way, and So much of what Sono does can be very loud and brash and noisy and i don't just mean in terms of sound just in general feel um you know crams a lot of ideas not always successfully but usually so um he usually you know, makes his films sometimes ridiculously long or or or, or he's got such he just hasn't made another film like this and it's really interesting to see him pull something like this out Um, But it's very different. But it really appealed to me. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, mate.
0: I haven't seen Wonder in Star. I mean, a lot of these subtle sort of movies, it's sort of kind of eluded me for whatever reason. And I think it's mainly because the more... Uh titles that can sort of be like, have that sort of like Miike edge to them, have been the ones that have sort of been pushed, so like Why Don't You Play in Hell, Tokyo Tribe, uh Anti-Porno and uh, Tag. So those are the ones I've mainly sort of seen from Sono and and those are also the sort of titles that got him noticed by Netflix so he could do Forest of Love, so it would be nice to obviously go back and look at some of these uh more, more subtle titles and just obviously, I think obviously when we, we um go for the hate trilogy i think it's going to sort of finally highlight that you know he's not just a one-trick pony he does other mm. stuff than being the infant Tariba of uh, modern asian
1: cinema indeed right ready for film 20 yep um film 20 japan again but animation <laughs> i'm finally bringing an anime to the party that isn't perfect blue and isn't satoshi con um Th- but but it's um, I'm, I'm not sure how much you're going to like this one. So it's it's an it's another Ghibli fil- Ghibli movie. Um, but this one is only yesterday, directed by Isao Takahata. Now you might not be at the age yet where only yesterday really appeals to you, but it's the story of a youngish lady. I think she's in her 30s, who goes back to her home village for reasons i can't remember oh she's not quite 30 but she's a she's a you know she's she's one of these office ladies she's single she hasn't met a man um she's works in an office she comes home to basically have a little bit of a break from from city life and fundamentally how you know goes into this rural pace of life and has lots of memories about um her past and how her past informs her presence um you know the f- the first person she loved going through puberty um how difficult it was at school um there's a lovely scene which has always struck stuck with me where you know her father bought home a pineapple and none of them had seen it before and they were so excited but then they realized they didn't know how to cut it or eat it um just things like that and and i've reached this age in my life well probably did 10 years ago where e- everything really to me, outside of outside of this, mate, is um is fostered in nostalgia and uh, remembering my youth, remembering the you know the seventies and the eighties for me and what things were like, and you know, so many conversations seem to go around that. You know, if you bump into somebody of a similar age, we'll sit there and wax lyrical. I was doing it only the other day. This film, this this is this is a film about losing yourself in nostalgia, remembering your childhood. um I think it's a beautifully um, drawn film as well. Um, surprisingly, a big success in Japan. Um, it's, it's not... Uh, there are a few Ghibli films which which are not Miyazaki. Um, and I think this this is just one that really, really affected me and has really stuck with me over the years. Um, it's not Spirited Away. It's not My Neighbor Totoro. It's not Castle in the Sky. It's not Pompoka. You know, it's not in, in those fantasy lands. This a very much a, a film... Although there's some some magical realism going on, it's really about being grown up as opposed to being a child.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously Ghibli are associated a lot with the whimsy, but certainly with their more grounded features. And I would I would also put like Castle Cagliosho in this as well, um, and Grave of the Fireflies. I think that they're definitely a shoot that shouldn't be just limited thinking. Oh yeah, they're the the show that just like the whimsical. Mm films. I think currently they have shown that they can do stuff. I mean many out of Miyazaki's um sort of films that they've they've chosen to go and do do more sort of adult material, but I think uh, these these ones are definitely worth checking out as much as, you know, the whimsical stuff.
1: Okay. Next South Korea and this is probably this is probably, you know, one of on those choices you think, I'm going to regret this in the future. But I don't think so. Um, so, I've spoken much about, in, and certainly in the first episode, the films of Kwak jae Young, My Sassy Girl and Windstruck are in their first 25. Um, I could have talked about Cyborg She, I could have talked about a whole bunch of other films. Um, but he basically went off my radar for about 10 years until I... Picked up randomly. I didn't even know it was by him when I picked it up. I just like the concept. It's a film called Time Renegades. Where bas- basically. Oh, I, when someone says basically, they never mean basically, do they? <laughs> it's a film set in two time zones. Okay. Um, it's a police thriller. And basically, these two cops. Different times, their lives kind of interact, and what they end up doing is solving a crime or stopping somebody dying one contemporaneous to it, and one with future knowledge. Um, and basically, they stop what effectively seems to be the same person dying in two time frames, although, yeah, it's. Really, I I'm not explaining it very well. But it's it's really, really, really good. Really surprisingly good. I mean, as a director, he tends to, he does like messing around with different um d- different genres and things like this. And to see a sort of a police sci-fi thriller. I mean, we've seen them, we've heard of them before. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, there's that one, isn't there, with the radio. The guy gets the message frequency. frequency and things like that. Think, think of that, but a little more high concept. Um, it's also got Im Soo Jung in it, who's you know she's um, from Taylor Two Sisters and I'm a Cyborg. So I know you're a big fan of her. Um, yep. So she, she's sort of the lead, the lead female character. Again, it's one of those. I just don't know how you'd pick up if you didn't order the DVD from YesAsia.com. But it's a really fascinating film and it's it's really stuck with me and uh yeah how many romantic thrillers do you get on this list another film i've probably seen in the last 12 months that absolutely blew my mind i've talked about it on the show and this is toshiho matsumoto's funeral parade of roses um basically the film which apparently inspired stanley kubrick to make a clockwork orange um it's my i think it's our first queer cinema choice we've had which is a bit sad because uh, there's certainly in japan there's there is a, a strong um queer cinema scene uh basically yeah it's a it's a version of oedipus rex set in my favorite time 1960s tokyo although this time in the underground gay culture there's basically this 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 I'm gonna say this guy his name is Peter he's a transgender woman um and we basically spend time in in the in the underground and illegal gay scene in nineteen sixties tokyo things don't end well for peter there's 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 murders and there's eye impalings and there's all sorts of things there's also sort of a semi uh documentary field to bits of it where people are asked about their views on homosexuals and homosexuality which is goes as well as you expect uh, contemporaneously um yeah it's a little bit avant-garde it's a little bit documentary it's a little bit um weird but it's so beautifully photographed it's so affecting It's one of those films I, again, I'd heard of but never seen. And once I got to see it, you know, it's not my normal Ballywick, this. And I was absolutely blown away by it. Um, Again, got a very, if I remember, yeah, it got a very... The BFI put it out, that's right. That's how I knew about it. Um, But really worth tracking down. Just, Just... We don't see enough films like this. It also shows you that some of the weird shit happened in the 60s. I mean, obviously, we know about things like um, Tokyo Drifter. If you like Tokyo Drifter and films like that, you'll probably like this. Next up, Simon Yam. <laughs> yeah. really? Sort of. But it's a South Korean film. Um, Director Choi Dong-hoon has made a career out of making these kind of very Western movies. I, I, I think of them. Um, things like the Taza movies, uh, John Wu Chi, The Taoist Wizard, which is where he brought a Taoist wizard into the present day, um, Big Swindle, Assassination. He makes big movies, big, bold movies, genre movies. Um, and the one I'm going to bring is The Thieves, which is this huge ensemble piece starring a whole bunch of famous people from South Korea, including Lee Jung Jae and Jun Ji -ji Hyun. Um, and Simon Yam's in it as well. (laughs) And, and Derek Sang, who is, um, uh, Thingy Sang's son. Um, and Angelica Lee from the eye. She's in it as well. um, it's it's oceans 13 mate oceans 11 oceans 12 oceans 13 but with asian people and it's i i saw it as part of a london korean film festival a few years ago um it's it's just really great if you like that kind of thing it's bloody great i love a heist movie is it awfully original maybe not but you know what it's lovely to see a pan-european cast so you've got people from south korea from hong kong from malaysia um it it's really you know it's, it's quite rare it's got some fantastic set pieces it's got you know it it, it goes across multiple uh locations um you know, is it is it vacuous and empty at the end of the day? Yes, of course it is. But you know what? We need a few blockbusters on this list. And, and this was, you know, this is one of the most popular films in all time in South Korea. Um, surprised it didn't get more of a Western release outside of film festivals. But well worth, well worth. If you're, if you're a fan of, like, so the Ocean's Eleven films or even Mission Impossible films, anything which is sort of based on a heist, I think you'll love this. You haven't seen it, have you? Okay.
0: No, because I'm not seen. <laughs> <it. laughs> the next one, I know you uh, have seen.
1: Okay, so because we've done a show on it, um, and it <laughs> that's good. It's Ronnie Hughes, 1993, Bride with the White Hair.
0: Good choice. Which
1: um, again, you can go back and listen to our episode on it. Um, but basically, it's the, 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 it's it, it, it's it's a film about its two stars. The uh, amazing Leslie Chung and the even more iconic Bridget Lynn. Star-crossed lovers, shall we say. Uh, female revenge story. Um, uh, conjoined villain. Like a conjoined twin villain. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> that's why I always seem to remember well, the is. most of it. Not so much him like leaping up in the cave and going
1: I proclaim my love to the gods yeah I mean Bridget Lynn this is her sort of this is one of her well I think she's got a couple oh, yeah. of iconic roles actually in, in cinema but yeah she's amazing um obviously I've talked at great length about Leslie Chung um but but you're right there's a madness to this movie it's all very blue tinted and full of fog machine isn't it as well <laughs> it's, it's just got a real it's got a real feel of 1993 about it Hong Kong cinema it's
0: of its era especially for Hong yeah. Kong cinema definitely this uh, period they were all pretty much like this this and save your the Soul um, like, a right, trill, It's it. You, you look at it, and you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly <laughs> when they shot this. Yeah,
1: you can't. Well, obviously, Ronnie, Ronnie Yu is one of those uh, Hong Kong film directors. Actually, went on to make some mm. films in the West that weren't complete flops. Bless him. Brother Chucky,
0: Freddy versus Jason. Yeah.
1: Um, and and you're right. You know that that is this not one of the most shocking villains in 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 Asian cinema history. The the weird brother sister conjoining <laughs> there's, there's a load going on in this but I, yeah I don't really want to I don't want to ruin it if anyone hasn't seen it I'm pretty certain most people have seen it and go back and listen to our episode on it now I think this is the, my last choice I think this is number 25 and I make no apologise apologize? I make no apologies for bringing another Stephen Chow movie to the table but this one is directed by Johnny Toe. Um, this is another one of these little treats I somehow accidentally caught on Netflix or something or Amazon. I can't remember what it was at the time. This is Justice, my foot. Um, and the comma and the exclamation mark are in the title. So it, makes it quite hard to find sometimes. Um, this is... So... so Stephen Chow made a bunch of these movies sort of set in period history, like Forbidden City Cop and things like that, where it, it, it's... They're not very... Um, you know, they're, they're playing a lot on the tropes of some of the more period-era Chinese movies and, and settings, so there's some of that. But the reason this film's so brilliant is that Stephen Chow's pretty bloody good, right? But Anita Mui is funnier than him in this film and she owns this film and she owns him and it's, you know, I think Rouge, I think we had Rouge may have made one of our earlier lists. hope it did. Um, but we need more Anita Mui in our lives um, or the later Anita Mui in our lives. Um, it's it's in the realms of, um, like you chose Love on Delivery, I would. It's just one of those Stephen Chow films that you'll find on a streaming service somewhere Um, There was a time this was the only Stephen Chow film on on Netflix. I don't even know if it's still on Netflix UK. Um, It's funny. There's a load of physical comedy. But again, I just cannot stress more that Anita Mui actually is funnier than Stephen Chow in this film. Um, So make of that what you will. And that's my last one. Well,
0: I hope you all enjoyed this weighty chunk (laughs) of uh, film recommendation. Uh, if you have the same thing that you think should have been on the list, please do let us know in the comments section. You can also tell us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out our blog, which is Asian Cinema Film Club dot dot com, which has got a whole arc of episodes, including our Chat to My Chat to Breakdown of Battle Royale and uh, just a host of other fun stuff on there as well. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. And please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. And uh, leave us a review. As it all helps raise the profile of the show but until next time thank you very much for listening to the Asian Cinema Film Club and your continual support of us as we've hit 75 episodes now and we've got many many more things down the line so excited to see where we go next but uh, thank you to you the listener thank you to my
1: co-steven pleasure as always, I'm off to watch a load of C on Sono films now <laughs> <laughs>
0: And uh we'll be back very soon for another episode. But until then, good night.
1: Hey!
0: Hey! Hey!
1: 昨日の恋は忘れて no kofuasudete! 夜空のさ君